Welcome back to the Modern Cop Podcast. Still getting used to saying that, given the name change uh, very recently, but I uh, do hope you all like the name change. So far, positive reviews uh, all around. So I think there's a level of maturing that came along with that. Uh, just took a couple of years to get there. So funny what, uh, what having kids and watching your hair thin and gray will do to you. <laughs> with me in studio today, is uh, Josh Logan, owner and founder of Guardian Training and Consulting. Josh is an Air Force veteran uh, and a veteran law enforcement officer. Now he runs his training company full time, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive right into uh, some pretty good conversations. Josh and I have been trying to talk for I don't know a year. Yeah, sounds about right. Sounds about right. Um, had him on the show once before, and then uh, some work stuff came up. Had to go take care of that. So uh, we've finally gotten back uh, to where I've got Josh. Sans his lovely wife, Karen, uh, but Josh's beard is, is company enough for me, so it's okay. I think I'll get over it. Are you just jealous, I think? But that you have a beard? Yeah. Look, man, it's not my fault that I'm 12 years old, okay? <laughs> Hormonally speaking, and I can't grow facial hair. Well, so. you, you talked about maturity a second ago, so I don't know how that... I was like, I was rolling my eyes. I don't know if you heard that. Her, heard your eyes rolling yeah. all, all the way around. Exactly. So... <laughs> Uh, Josh and I are enjoying a little bit of Buffalo Trace today. I try to divvy it up a little bit, different shows. Uh, Buffalo Trace, uh, pretty much all their product line are, are some of my uh, my favorite bourbons. I am in no way sponsored by Buffalo Trace yet. That totally If anybody from sponsored. Buffalo Trace is listening, hit me up. Yeah. Um, I don't mind, but uh, uh, I let Josh pick the bottle today, so we just got some yeah. good old standard Buffalo Trace, and uh, we're enjoying that, but... We're going to head in. I got the icebreaker questions for Josh, giving him a little bit of time to think about it. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, Josh, you can have a drink with anybody, living or dead. Who is it? What are you drinking? You know, that was a good question. Um, so I thought about it, and uh, I think the uh, I think it would be Bruce Lee. Um, All right. You know, being a professional adult educator, and I stress adult, and teaching law enforcement, uh, adult is by, by letter of the age. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, it's because the maturity level starts to go wane to try to reach them. But uh, I think it would be Bruce Lee because a lot of his teachings, he was a, he was a, he was a philosopher first and foremost. A lot of people don't know that. Um, he was a martial artist, obviously one of the greatest martial artists of all time. But if you start actually looking at his life and the way he lived his life, he lived his philosophy. Um, so, you know, if I had, a, if I had a chance to sit down and talk to Bruce, um, that would be just absolutely amazing. Just to sit there and be a, a sponge and just listen to him. What I would be drinking is whatever Bruce would want to be drinking uh, to, to loosen him up and uh, and uh, to get him talking and to, to pick his brain about, you know, the philosophies of life. Um, because I think uh, the reason why is um, I live teaching. Um, that's what I do just, you know, 100% of my time now. Um, you know, I love his quote and I'm gonna probably gonna just butcher it, but it's the teacher is not a giver of truth. The teacher's job is to be a stu is to be a guide for the student to find their own truth. Um, and he, he always prescribed that concept of always a student and sometimes a teacher and, you know, be like water, you know, water is, is, you know, it has the ability to adapt to its container ability to, um, to, to, to completely mold to whatever it is, but it's one of the most powerful forces in the world. And, uh, he was truly that, uh, that warrior in a garden instead of the gardener in a war and, you know, in a war. And so, you know, he, 
he brought his craft to the world and uh, it was completely disruptive in nature, which is awesome. Uh, he brought Jeet Kune Do to the world. And, you know, when you had karate guys, you had judo guys and, and he was, why, why don't we bring the best of everything? Um, and so it was, he was so disruptive in the world and he was so uh, innovative um, and he was taken from us too early. So um, if I had my choice, if Bruce was like, hey, whatever you want to drink, it would probably be triple cask McAllen 18. So that would probably be my choice. But if it was Bruce is like, hey, we're going to go drink whatever I drink, you go for it. Josh has cheap uh, taste in scotch, as you can clearly tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you got to love Bruce Lee, man. I mean, and he is that that quote about water. And, and it, it, he goes on to say that, you know, water can flow, water can crash. Mm-hmm. And just as, you, as you've as you've said, it's the most powerful force in nature, certainly at least one of the most powerful forces. And it can do whatever it needs to do. It, it truly water just adapts. Correct. It does. It does what it wants to do. It does what it needs to do. Correct. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, Bruce Lee taken from us far too soon. I feel the same way about Patrick Swayze, but you know, I agree as well. But, I agree uh, as well. Uh, for different reasons. So, <laughs> <laughs> and the awkward silence. And the starts. awkward silence. <laughs> well, obviously, a martial artist versus an actor, right? So sure. Some differences there, but uh, um, all right, I like it, man, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Um, uh, next up, what is a conspiracy theory that you believe to be true? You know, that's that was a tough one because it's it's it get, there's so many out there. Um, you know, and I, I I truly think this whole COVID thing was manufactured by was man, you know, whether it was China or whether it was the cabal or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, when this came out, you know, I, I left, I left my police department in January of 2020. So I left Jan, my last days of full-time police officer was January 31st, got married January 11th to my, my beautiful wife. So January 11th of 2020, I got married, uh, to, to the, the best person in my, in the world. Um, and then January 31st, I, I left February 1st was my first day of, holy shit, I'm an entrepreneur. Like it, this is awesome. And it's the most scary time of my life. And then George Floyd was happening. And then, um, uh, like March 15th, 16th or something like that, then Arizona shut down and, uh, we couldn't do in, in-person teaching and it was tough. We had to pivot pretty hard and, and, uh, it was a tough, like four months. Um, luckily we're in a state that, um, <laughs> they woke up quickly. And, and, and I think that's the biggest thing is um, when I realized what COVID was and it's, it's no disrespect to the people that have died and I've gotten really ill. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but when I found out the statistics, I'm like, this is, this is, what are we doing here? We're ruining people's lives. And so it's like this, the manufacture there, there was something manufactured in that um, whether it was the actual disease, but then I realized the fear was the was the true danger it, the the irrational fear of this 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 flu flu strain um, was was the scary part. I saw people just losing their ever living minds and 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 ruining people's lives and separating families and destroying families and destroying relationships and um, it, it didn't happen naturally. Uh, it was it was a bioweapon, uh, whether it was China or whether it was some other nefarious plot, whatever the case may be. I, I truly think it was, it was manufactured and I'll take that. I'll take that to the grave. Um, and what I truly believe in my heart of hearts and mind of minds is let me, let me ask you this, Kev, cause I'm going to ask you the question is if you knew 
with absolute certainty, when you went on the road every day and put that blue suit on, the percentage of you coming home every day was 99%. You knew it every day. Would you do that? Would you take the job? Absolutely. I think that my my percentage of guaranteed coming home every day was probably lower than that. Correct. And but I you didn't did know. It. Yeah, I didn't know. You and still don't know. No. We, 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 even, even, even just the average citizen doesn't know, right? But we have quantifiable evidence that you have a greater chance of getting into a minor car accident than dying from COVID, right? Even the most sickly of sick. And so it's, it's the fear that, that really was like, wow, we really propagated a, a something that that's just, and now we're over that and we're into the Ukraine crisis. It's like, everybody forgot about COVID and we're now we're in Ukraine. And uh, it, I know I went on a tirade on that, but it was, it greatly affected me. It greatly affected my business. And now we're coming back. We're building back better uh, with Guardian and uh, in so many ways. But it, uh, um, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, it, I think that's, that, that's what I believe. That's, that, I guess that's my conspiracy theory. I'll, I'll sit in the corner with my ten, twin foil hat. <laughs> well, and, well, let's continue to build back better with five to seven dollars per gallon. So <laughs> yeah. I, I drive a, a an SUV. Yeah, and it's not the most fuel efficient vehicle on the planet. I admit that, but uh, I had I used to drive a Toyota Tundra. Yeah, with the big V eight engine, four yep. by four. Boy, am I glad enough to put fuel in that fucking thing anymore? Because oh my god, I'd have to take out another mortgage on my house probably. <laughs> $160 to fill up my F-350 today. Oh, <laughs> gross. I, I think I had to put three quarters of a tank in my car this morning to get to, uh, uh, went down to the Pima Air and Space Museum in Tucson because I'm a huge nerd for aircraft. I'm the same way. And uh, I think it was like 70 bucks for three quarters of a tank. Like, come on, man. Well, when you go to the Circle K and you, you, uh, you put your card in, and then fill it up to $150 and they go, that's all you get for this one transaction. And then you put your same card in to get another transaction for 10 more dollars. Used to be, Shit got real. used to be, you could fill up an F-350 and a boat for $150. Right, exactly. I saw some guy pulling a boat on a trailer the other day. I'm like, wow, dude, that's way to flex. flex on everybody. That's some flex. You, are you Elon, is that you? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I love it. <laughs> I, I know a lot of people with boats and uh, it was 90 degrees today. And I don't think I've seen any pictures on social media of people in their boats. Um, no, it's just ridiculous, man. I got to drive through California next month and uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned that Make, I'm going to have to sell a kidney in order to put gas in my, in the Toyota Corolla that we've rented. Or you put jerry cans of gasoline in your Toyota yeah, exactly. Corolla. Yeah. In the Corolla, just <laughs> this Arizona gas is cheaper. <laughs> my, my parents drove to and from California, I think like last week or two weeks ago, and they got gas in like quartzite okay. and managed to nurse their car through California to and India and no, no, no back, oh. back to quartzite. Oh, they spent their little weekend out there, hardly drove and yeah. then managed to get their car back to quartzite. They didn't have to fill up once in, in California. I thought, uh, maybe they had to put like, I think my dad said he had to put like 10 bucks in just to get to quartzite. Oh but my he, gosh. He was like, I'm not putting, uh, I'm not paying. $9 I want the freedom gas. I don't yeah. want the commie gas. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it's a shit. It's like my brother-in-law and I talk about, cause I'm from California, California, sure. Man, if it wasn't for the politics, California is a beautiful place to live. You got sun, sand, surf, snow, four hours from the yeah. surf. Um, uh, it's just, you know, something about the heroin needles in San Francisco and the yeah. uh, surge in violent crime in Los Angeles. Really off-putting. Well, but. it's it's sad because, you know, teaching, I've taught in California. Um, you know, after leaving law enforcement, I taught in California, you know, Bakersfield, San Diego, 
Um, it's funny. You go to Bakersfield in Kern County, like you don't feel like you're in California. You're like, you're in just, Oh man, you're in, in America, mm-hmm. you know, guns and everything like that. You go to San Diego again, Navy town. Um, and a good friend of ours, um, is, uh, is one of the workers for San Diego gunners association. And they were the plaintiff in both cases uh, that went to St. Benitez, judge Benitez. Um, and there's, there's a lot of people out there that are fighting for rights, you know, whether it's second amendment or, you know, you know, uh, crime control, not gun control, but crime control, put, put people, uh, put people in, you know, the bad guys in jail. Um, thank you, Gascon, you know, former Mesa police chief. Um, now he, you know, went from the Mesa police chief to, to, uh, the, 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 uh, district attorney of LA and just turning into a cesspool. Uh, yeah. It's just garbage. I had Moses Castillo, who's a former LAPD detective on the show. I think I had him on, uh, mid last year and, and Moses has been very, uh, outspoken against DA Gascon and the, and the recall efforts that they are, are once again going through, um, and you just look at some of the policies and you can't help but scratch your head. These policies are not only affecting the law-abiding citizens of the state of California, but they're affecting the police officers. And quite frankly, you're putting police officers' lives in danger, which you as a former law enforcement officer, me as a current police officer, like I, I just can't abide by any policy that puts a cop in danger. No, you're right. <clears throat> you know, our, know. our jobs, there's there's an inherent level of danger associated with sure. our job. We all We all understand that. Uh, I'm not going to say it though. Well, that's what you signed up for because that's not, we don't sign up to go and chase danger. If, if that's the reason you want to be a cop, get out of my profession. Sure. Um, uh, we understand there's an inherent level of danger, but we don't need to do things to magnify it. No. And, and with, with policies that, that protect the wicked, I guess that's the best way of explaining it. Uh, policies that protect the wicked. I mean, I had a prosecutor <clears throat> one time when I was assaulted pretty viciously um, tell me that you know, being assaulted is part of my job. And I'm like, wow. I said, wow. Uh, wow. I said, you know, that, that Arizona revised statute that, that is charging him with aggravated assault on a police officer also covers prosecutors, judges, healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, you know, psychologists, you know, all of those, I, I don't want to say protected classes, but they're a special class of providers that if you assault them, you no longer are in the category of misdemeanor assault. You go to felonious assault. And I said, so you put, I I put bad guys in jail by arresting them. You put bad guys in prison by prosecuting them. And you're telling me that if they assault you, so when I go respond to that call, should I just tell you that's part of your job because you put bad guys in prison? Are you kidding me right now? I'm like, and I'm not asking, I don't think we're asking for special privileges. We're not, we're not asking for special treatment or, Hey, you know, professional courtesy. It's more of like this, it just, it cannot stand. Um, and it, and it became attempted aggravated assault and, uh, simply because he didn't have any priors. Meanwhile, you're, you're sitting there bleeding from your face. Like, correct. No, no, no. It was, it wasn't attempted. It was, it was here completed. It it's right yeah. here. So ID tech took pictures of my face. Here it is. And, and, and here, and he admitted to doing it and because he didn't have any prior felony charges. And I had told the prosecutor and I said, so you mean to tell me that, that Ted Bundy on his first murder was less heinous than his 15th murder? Well, you know, you know, officer Logan, you're, you know, you're being a little dramatic. I'm like, no, no, you can't say that I'm a victim right now and I have rights. And I said, this is just, this is just completely out of hand. 
and it, it something's got to give some, some absolutely has to give. And it's, um, and it's unfortunate. It really is. Um, because there's a lot of good cops out there that are, that are looking around and going, what are we doing here? You know, and it, it's, it's just sad. It's just really sad. Yeah, that was, uh, we, we, we've abandoned the icebreaker questions at this point, but yeah, I, was, I know yeah. I got undiagnosed and medicated ADHD <laughs> and then you get some whiskey. I, I was having a conversation with, uh, with someone today about how cops are, are, you know, finding, finding other avenues, man, and looking at private sector. And, uh, you look at, at agencies, uh, around the country are filling whatever positions that don't need to be sworn. They're putting civilian investigators in there. Uh, or non-sworn investigators and into those positions or, um, and, and their Phoenix police department being a prime example opened up, I forget, 40 something investigators, essentially detective positions where you're conducting the investigation. Uh, and then you basically hand your, your finalized report, if you will, like off to a detective for charging and whatnot. Wow. Um, And weird Phoenix, I don't even know how many thousands of officers they're down. Uh, I I would venture to guess that at least probably close to 2000 vacancies that they need to fill as far as patrol is concerned. Um, uh, But I think they had 40 or 50 of these civilian non-sworn investigator positions, and they've got several hundred applicants for these positions. It's, it's like how you and I used to see law enforcement, you know, testing processes go. Sure where hey we've got five spots and here's 800 applicants yeah. and now it's like hey we've got five spots and we can't even get enough people through the door yeah. to take the test i was you know when i applied i think i was <clears throat> i think it was around a thousand and there was three positions yeah and i think, was the only lateral no yeah i was the only lateral got hired that year i think i i don't know how many spots there were as far as when i got hired but there were 750 people testing sure and i think there were five of us that got hired off of that testing process yeah that like sounds about hello right. lottery winner <clears throat> yeah and exactly. now and now it's like excuse me do you breathe right great here's right. a badge <laughs> and yeah. that's that's thankfully not for every agency no um many agencies are like no we're not going to lower our standards some agencies simply don't have the choice for for the longest time the city of Phoenix, it is documented that there are not enough citizens in the city of Phoenix. And I'm not talking about outlying areas, but the specific city of Phoenix. Correct. There are not enough citizens that are eligible to actually be peace officers for the city of Phoenix. Sounds believable. Um, Which is, I mean, you talk about lowering standards and changing standards between, oh, well, uh, the fraternal order of police, somebody, one of their, I don't know if it was like a, the president um, was just speaking on this uh, topic on the news about how if you lower these standards and, oh, well, you did cocaine once. Was it within the last 10 years? It was. Was it within the last three years? No. All right. Cool. Does does that raise the question of are we still hiring quality candidates? Ooh. Was that a rhetorical question or was that a question? I think that was just like a general, if you've got an opinion, by all means, I'm, it may you know, be my show, but I shouldn't be the one talking this much. No, no, you're, you're, you're man. Holy crap. You're like thought provoking like crazy. Um, you know, it's weird because I, you know, I know a lot of good people that, you know, that, that faced addiction and beat addiction that, um, that have done drugs experimentally. Um, you know, that, that, 
that have bad made bad choices, right? They're not bad people, just poor choices, right, in their life. And then those poor choices don't define them. You know, we, we know we know so many people that have made uh, impulsive decisions, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, and it doesn't make them bad people. And so the, the, it's tough because you, you look at it and go, what, what is the moral fiber of this person? Um, but, you, you know, like Simon Sinek's um, uh, author, Start With Why, Know Your Why, um, great books, by the way. Um, you know, he interviewed, uh, you know, a, a Navy commander of, of a SEAL unit, of DevGrew, actually, of uh, SEAL Team 6. And he says, what are the qualities that make a DevGrew SEAL, right? Because you have SEALs. And then you have dev guru seals, right? That go through green team and, and, uh, and become the best of the best. You know, the guys that literally solve the worst problems of the world, the Osama bin Laden raids and operation Neptune spear. And so he asked him, what, what are the qualities that make a dev guru seal? And he sat there and thought about it for a second. He's like, you know what? I can't tell you what makes a good seal or a, a dev guru seal. I can tell you what doesn't make a dev guru seal. And it, and it, and a lot of it doesn't have to do with drugs. A lot of it doesn't have to deal with, it's the problem solving capabilities. It's the, uh, the interpersonal communications. It's, you know, um, like, uh, for example, like him or hate him, you know, reading the book, no easy day really put, I don't know if you read it. Have oh, you yeah. Read? Yep. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I don't um, think it's over. Rob O'Neill. Yeah. Rob I mean, O'Neill's book. Yep. Uh, no, not Rob O'Neill. Well, he, that's his real name, but he went by a different name. Was it Rob O'Neill wrote that? I don't know. I forget because he wrote it under somebody wrote it he, under a pseudonym. He wrote it under a pseudonym, and then he, yeah. that was a couple of years before he uh, uh, properly identified himself. Yeah. So, you know, you you, you he, he kind of gave a, a snapshot into who these guys are, and they're like average looking dudes. They're not they're not these muscle bound you know beach body dudes. You know, and some of them have a lot of them have PhDs, master's degrees. A lot of them are in the Mensa Society. Some of the some of them are chess grandmasters. Um, they're they are true masters of problem solving, cognitive, um, cognitive cognitive processing under stress. Right? They are they are the they are the major league baseball player players of the the quote unquote tactical world. Um, you know, and you know they're the quiet professionals. But you know, it's you know the, the problem is the exposés have been gotten there. But but it's you know, and like them or hate the exposés, it's given us an insight into what it what it takes to be truly an elite warrior and or elite, uh, you know, problem solver, um, in the most, I guess, dangerous world that you possibly can be in. Um, right. so yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it, that to me defines the person. Um, you know, you look at my instructors, um, you go online and our, our, uh, you know, our about us, you see the guardian, the, you know, you see our guardian logo and, and, you know, it's the, uh, the Webster's dictionary of a guardian. And none of it has to do with, with guns. None of it has to do with taking lives. It's all about protecting. It's all about, you know, defending, right? And whether that's, you know, stop the bleed or CPR, right? Because some people are like, I, we, we, I don't even want to, I don't like guns. But probably a good first aid class or a stop the bleed class is probably a good idea, CPR. But if you want to learn how to fire guns, that's that's what we do. But you'll see our, and then our instructors, <clears throat> you know, Karen and I and then our instructors and our, and our staff, you know, you read their resumes, Um and a lot of, and we've had people come out, come and ask us, Hey, what does it take to be a guardian instructor? And I, and I thought about it and I never really had an answer. And then I found it. It was, you have to be an exceptional human being. You have to be a good person. You have to care about what you do. You have to care about people and you want to help people. And then the resume only 
shows that they're qualified to do what they do. And when they walk into a room and they give their intro, right? They're, you know, hey, I'm Josh Logan, you know, co-founder of Guardian Training Consulting, and blah, this is about me, right? They, but but I'm a good person to these people. They're like, man, that that only further, you know, shows credo to to the professionalism he is. That he that he he deserves to be in that that role today, just today, as an instructor. Because tomorrow I could be a student. Um, but it's, I guess that's the biggest thing. And I know I went on a tangent with that, but it's you know. The hiring practices, you know, I personally think need to change. And I'm not saying hiring coke addicts and heroin addicts and, you know, stupid people or whatever the case may be. It's it's just more of like we got to look at the holistic approach than just, you know, check boxes. Right. You know. Well, and you, and you talked about to, to again, I was not in the military, but to go back to your your conversation about uh, dev grew and what makes a good dev grew operator. And you look at, um, and I forget the name of the book, and it's not sitting over on my. Uh, <laughs> these are just a sampling of my books over here to my left. I have, <laughs> I have an entire U-Haul box full of books upstairs oh, yeah. that my wife has asked me to do something with. <laughs> <laughs> um, that weighs a million pounds. Oh, dude, it's heavy. Yeah, yeah no, I got. I'm gonna have to bring them downstairs like a couple at a time. Yeah. I'll get my steps in though. So yeah, there you go. Um, but uh, Adam Brown, who is a, a, a dev guru operator himself, uh, fearless. Yes, fearless. Thank fearless, you. Yes. Um, and he had a, he had a drug addiction problem yeah. that he fought through and uh and, and beat and and ultimately he was he was killed in Afghanistan um but but he was able to overcome those demons correct that that had plagued him um you look at uh, at Jason Redman uh who wrote the book called The Trident uh he was a, a seal uh, off he was started out as an enlisted seal and then became a seal officer and he had um I don't know. I can't remember exactly how he describes it in his book, but he he almost came across as as kind of a, an arrogant officer, and, yeah. and he had all sorts of leadership issues that he was able to overcome. Um, and he was also able to overcome being shot in the face by a freaking PKM, <laughs> you know, Jeez. the old seven seven point six two fifty four round, yeah. right? Like to the face. Um, uh, and, and he continued to to work through that. And now, I mean, he's a motivational speaker, he's sure. got his books uh, and he, and he's, he's just outliving his life. So, and I think that, that you could look at law enforcement officers the same way of that. We're not robots. We're not going to be perfect. I can remember when I got hired, they got hung up on well, bullshit. You never smoked weed. Yeah. Right. Neither. I, I've never, I was I've like, never done it. I was like, yeah, I don't really know what else to tell you. Like, yeah. and, and, and I got the question several times throughout my background packet. And I think I finally just looked at the, at the background investigator. I was like, I don't, I don't know if you're trying to trip me up, but my answer is going to stay the same. I've never smoked weed. And neither I, have I. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. And Correct. that's, and that's okay. But you know what? If you smoked weed in high school at 18 and now you're 23 and you've graduated college with a bachelor's <laughs> degree and, and you grew out of that and you've decided that you want to become yep. a police officer and, and potentially lay your life on the line for your community, mm -hmm. um, wherever that community may be. Well, then we'll, I'll give you the opportunity. Sure long as you keep your nose clean and, and and I can count on you to do the right thing, be it, you know, uh, you, the, the whole, you, you know, you fuck up, you own it aspect of it. Yeah, extreme with ownership, extreme kind of concept, ownership yeah. concept within your own career. Um, I can count on you when, when, when shit gets wild out on the street. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can count on you to, to be accountable for your actions and, and to be dependable then. Okay. It's funny because, you know, you mentioned that as, 
how how can somebody that have done drugs or have gone through tough times or you know had an alcoholic stent or you know had rough times right have been suicidal in their life be disqualified for joining law enforcement right but then how many of how many of our friends have we buried how many how many how many people have we have we known that have taken their own lives it, during their law enforcement career or have cried for help during their law enforcement career um and we don't disqualify them right so what disqualifies what the what disqualifies what disqualifies somebody before they enter their career and you know it's it's funny because you know during some of my hard times i, I do it now I, I go around and speak um, in a seminar called surviving a critical incident and aftermath you know surviving that from a from a you know physicality standpoint you know we're not i'm not doing you know a martial arts seminar but just talking about hey we survived it physically now let's talk about the immediate aftermath you know uh, neurobiological right from in a, in a uh, neurochemistry perspective you know your adrenaline cortisol um, endorphins and how those actually interact and then you know the the complete aftermath um, because i went through it um, i went through you know a, a bad time in my life a dark time in my life all the way to the point of um, when i knew um, my wife you know at the time it was just a friend and you know my wife being a former cop and of 21 years, almost 21 years. Um, and we were just instructors together um, to the point of, you know, me, me stopping off at the liquor store with my four-year-old daughter at the time, you know, she's nine now it's been five years. Um, stop at the liquor store and I get a bottle of 750 of Jack Daniels and um, go home, empty home, you know, because marriage is, is just crumbling as we speak at the moment. And put the kid out of sleep, my princess, you know, and uh, I started drinking like straight from the bottle, you know, not pouring into a glass, not enjoying it like we are, right? I don't text anybody. I don't message anybody. I just, I sit in an, a, a, an empty house and it's quiet. No music, no TV. It's as dead as quiet as we're doing right now. And I'm alone. I just keep drinking. And then I walk over to my duty holster, pull out the same Glock that I have and that I still teach with today, press check it, 124 grain spear gold dot plus P around in the chamber, walk over to the couch, and I think about it for a solid minute. You know, how long is that in that world? Like if we timed it right now, if I stared at you for a solid minute and didn't talk, how long would that be? Oh, eternal, right? It's the rest of your life. It is, right? And I believe in God, you know, but I when I speak to people, I'm like, what do you believe in God, Allah, you know, force, the eternal, you know, man above or crystals, whatever force, what the fuck you, should, you believe in. If Yoda is your higher power. Yeah, who gives a fuck, right? <laughs> whatever your higher power is. But I had my phone on the the... And I was drunk. I was about halfway through the bottle and uh, um, not prime, my proudest moment. And uh, I thought about it. And uh, and at that moment, my phone buzzed. And, and it's like 10 o'clock at night. And I put the gun uh, down on the, uh, um, the coffee table. 
and look at it, and it's Karen. And uh, she says, hey, you know, cop to cop, you don't look like you're in a good spot. Um, if you ever want to meet for a coffee, a beer, or a bourbon, I'm there for you. And the first thing that went through my mind was, bitch, you don't drink bourbon. Yeah, my wife drinks bourbon. <laughs> and uh, being from the south side of Chicago, she's the toughest person I know. Um, and at that moment, I, I, I realized somebody cares about me. Somebody actually like acknowledges my existence. I didn't message her. I didn't call her. I didn't do anything. It was just, it was divine intervention. And I walked over that duty holster. I didn't unload the gun. I just walked over the duty holster, dropped it in the ALS duty holster. I finished the bottle of Jack Daniels because I'm not a quitter. Um, and I paid for the bottle. And I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and, oh, man, did I pay for that bottle of Jack Daniels. But I've been good ever since. So the question I have to ask you is knowing that about me, do you think, do you classify me as less stable mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever you want to say it, less or more? I would say more because you've battled that demon. And, and, and it was five years ago, right? Which is just when I was starting my career. I hit, sure. I hit five years next month. Um, and I didn't really know you back then. No. Um, uh, you know, the, the same way that I, I come to know you now. And the simple fact that people can talk about that kind of stuff openly. Sure. And, I, and thank you for sharing that with me, by yeah. the way. Um, but... I don't think that disqualifies you from standing next to me on a riot line, right? Or uh, solving a shoplift or whatever the case may be, right? right? Uh, uh, Because I've, I've, I've only known you since then. Sure. So, but no, I, I would say that makes you more stable because you can recognize that and you can say that you have truly overcome that. Yeah. And it makes me, I would say it probably makes or should make anybody listening to this wonder who they know that's going through this the numbers that i just looked at yesterday uh i can't remember who put them out but it was it was uh i think part of the below 100 campaign sure which uh, if you're not familiar with it it's below 100 um i was asked this in the academy i got the question wrong it does not have anything to do with driving under 100 miles per hour although that is also <laughs> recommended part uh, of it's a seatbelt thing <laughs> but, it's, but it's uh uh yeah wear your belt wear your vest and and the last time that law enforcement deaths nationwide were under 100 officers was something like 1966 or something along those lines. Sure. Um, and while COVID related deaths remain uh, fairly high, the second leading cause of death of law enforcement officers in 2022, here we are not quite done with March yet is suicide. Yeah. And so who is it? Who, who do we work next to every day? that's going through these same things. Correct. And that, and that's the thing. It's, I, I like to say that I believe in post-traumatic growth. So when I, when I go do that speech and I, t I go into the neurochemistry behind it, like how cortisol actually can destroy you, right? It shuts off all night long life, essential body functions in that moment in life or death, right? It, you know, if you look at your parasympathetic nervous system, which we're in right now, you're in a sex rest and digest mode, 
right? You have the ability to procreate. Don't look at me like that. Um, you have the ability to let digest. Bur- let, let that bourbon keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, don't come sorry, at me, bro. Sorry, it um, won't happen again. <laughs> and then, um, and then you, you, it shuts off. You know, it shuts off your digestion, right? It shuts, and then it shuts off your rest receptors. So. Um, so, but right now we have the ability to procreate. We have the ability to digest our food. We have the ability to rest, right? Our immune system's kicking in pretty good, right? We're doing, we're, we're pretty healthy individuals. We're, you know, I've got, obviously you've got the detective 30 and I've got the entrepreneurial 30. Yeah, thanks. I'm right? working on it. Uh, trust me. I, I got uh, one of my photographer, my photographer, who is Thomas Yoxel, who is the guy who saved uh, Trooper Anderson's life, uh, DPS Trooper Anderson's life, uh, the, the good Samaritan. He's my photographer. And he's like, he told Karen, and of course, he wouldn't say it to my face. He's like, Josh is getting a little fluffy. Like, motherfucker, you wouldn't say it to my face, but oh, you yeah, say no. it to my wife. De- detective weight gain is a real thing. It's a real thing. Um, so you should, uh, you should not take a selfie video of you jumping rope if you are a detective. Just, <laughs> just saying. I looked like I was jello. Yeah, so. delete. <laughs> um, or just wear dark colors. Um, but no, it's, it's, uh, you know, the way I look at it is I've seen my, I've seen my darkest days that I know of. And if I've seen my darkest days and I've survived my darkest days, then, then wouldn't that help me cope with, if I see myself going towards those darkest days that I can intervene myself? Because if I knew now what I didn't know then to then provide that, that answer, then I could have done that, but I didn't know. I didn't, you don't, you know, these, these people are, you know, I'm sorry, like these keyboard commandos and these people are like, this is what I would do. I'm like, well, you weren't there, bro. You weren't there. And I started speaking out about this, doing this seminar. And I've, I've had people come up and it's, it's, it's weird in a group setting, but then it finally removes the tabooness to it. But I've had people coming up afterwards, numerous people coming after afterwards, ranging from, you know, Hey, I was there last month. I, I was at a firearms class teaching a firearms class. And I, and, and somebody told me, Dude, that was me like three days ago. And this is day three of a firearms class. And did I, did I, did I go, oh my gosh, we, we have to kick you out of the class now. I just had a simple conversation with him and go, dude, are you right? And he's like, yeah, dude, I, that was a catalyst for me to go seek help. Like professional help, like, you know, stuff that I can help me. Right. And cause Jack Daniels only listens so long, you know, or however you medicate, whatever the case may be. And, you know, there's some people that, that can't have a drink, right? After that, they can't have a drink. I've, I've learned, I'm like, okay, well, it's, this is just, it, you know, that was just a part of my life. And it doesn't define me, um, but it did change me. Um, and, and if, you know, if that just, you know, now people knowing this, if I decide to be, you know, decide to get back into the law enforcement fray, you know, full-time or part-time, that disqualifies me, then I'm sorry. Like, then it's not meant for me because that's me. Right. And that's, that's who I am. And, you know, I've had, I don't think you and I can count how many suicides we've been to, right? Suicide calls, people in distress ranging from, you know, people kind of, how do I say it? You know, lashing out and, you know, calling for help all the way to, oh my gosh, like somebody killing themselves right in front of us or, or we find the person a couple days later. Um, but you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that help if I'm a veteran, if I'm a police officer and I've been through it talking to somebody like, dude, I've been there. No, you've never been there, dude. And I tell my story, how does that help them? Right. Or a police officer that's been a former, you know, addict 
that now is proven through time that they can get talking to a heroin addict. Yeah, hey, you can beat this. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. And they're like, no, you weren't a heroin addict. Yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah. And I'm not saying we hire in heroin addicts. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like Yeah, we're not we're not going, here's your badge, here's correct. your badge, here's your needle. <laughs> like we're not gonna go down to the ne- the the tweaker at the end of the corner and hire the dude as a cop. But you you know, I think I think I hope our the audience understands what we're saying. No, I, yeah, I mean I get it, right? Lowest common denominator over here. So. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. You're nowhere near that. But so I've the, met those people. You ain't it. The the first sort of like specialized training that I ever went to as a police officer was for crisis intervention. CIT. And, CIT. Yeah. And and some people love CIT. Some people are indifferent. Some people hate it. It is. It, I'm not the officer for it. And everybody's got their everybody's <laughs> got their thing, right? But. One of the valuable lessons that I learned in that class was you will get people all the time and not just cops, but but even just general public. You're trying to tell your story to to somebody. And, oh, no, I, I dude, I, I understand. No, you don't understand. And one of the valuable lessons that I took away from that, uh, and it might have come from uh, from from Chip, our good buddy, Chip, who is one of your instructors. <sighs> yeah, dude. Um, was uh, stop telling people you understand if you don't understand. And so what I've done over the last five years is if I don't understand what you're going through, be it as a, a victim of a crime, be it that you are in crisis in some form or another, uh, if you're suicidal or if you think you're a beetle bug, I, I don't understand what you're going through. Help me understand so that I can maybe know what direction I need to go to get you the help that you need. Nailed it. But you, when you get to somebody in crisis, you can tell them no bullshit. I understand. just as you've said, and you can sit and talk to them and tell them your story. Right. I mean, I think the longest I've sat with someone and I wasn't by myself with this. I had had a good supervisor with me. I think we sat for like sat stood and it was August. Uh, And for those of you that don't know, it's super cool outside. right now. (laughs) It's hot in Arizona in August. Like it's stupid hot. Um, I think we sat outside of this dude's truck for like three and a half hours. Sounds about right. Just, just talking to him. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were ultimately successful, but he was calling it as he saw it. Like, you guys have no idea what I'm going through. Dude, you're right. I don't know what you're going through. But again, does that disqualify somebody from, from being a police officer per some of the more strict hiring standards? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you drop the P word, right? I mean, the PTSD word, right? Yeah. And that's, and I've never been diagnosed with it. And, and it's, but you, you know, like when I, when I was being hired, you know, you go to the, the shrink, right? You go to the shrink and you have to do the M the MMSI, the Minnesota multiphasic index, the, the 800 question, like they ask the same four questions, mm-hmm. you know, 400 different times. Um, and, um, when I went to the shrink, you know, obviously I had to, I had to divulge my veteran status. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't go overseas and see combat, but oh man, they dug deep into that. And I'm like, and they're, they're looking for the P word. Right. And, you know, it's like, let's talk about, stop talking about, you know, now it's no longer PTSD. It's just PTS, but let's stop talking about that. Let's like, it's not even stop talking about it. It's like, let's talk about the people without the labels. Right. I believe in post-traumatic growth because the very gun that, that I almost shot myself with that I thought about it for a minute, I didn't put it to my head. I didn't swallow it. I didn't. I just thought about it. I had it in my hand, felt the grip is the same gun that you'll see in my YouTube videos. If you see a Glock with a hollow sun optic on it, it's the same exact gun. So 
that very gun is the one that I'm teaching with growing my business. That's post-traumatic growth, right? Let's get it out of our own heads and let's help each other. But I've had so many people come up to me afterwards and you go, dude, that was powerful. I'm like, I don't do it for the, the, the applause. I don't do it for that. I do it for people that I'll give you an example. I went to, went to New York or it was after shot show one year. It was with my ex-wife, uh, but I went to shot show one year and, uh, it was just chance meeting. I was at the clock booth and, um, we were going to Manhattan the next week. So at shot show, tearing it up at shot show. And then I was going with now my ex-wife to Manhattan. First time I've ever been to New York, never been there. Still, you know, a cop at the time. And I heard this booming New York accent, just monstrous. I looked over and I saw this monstrous dude. He's like six foot three. And he turned around and he had a gold detective shield polo, right? It's in Braggards. And I can see it's a NYPD detective um, uh, shield. And, uh, and I looked down at his credentials, you know, the shot show credentials. And it says Steven Silks, NYPD. And I'm like, and he's talking and finally talks. And all I was going to ask him was, you know, hey, I'm going to New York next week. You know, where's the good, where's the good spots to eat? Cause cops always know where we know where to eat, man. Right. Especially us detectives (laughs) (laughs) come to find out he was the deputy chief. Um, so he was the deputy chief of the Queens borough of New York NYPD. So if you you don't know our audience, they'll know 33,000 cops, you know, NYPD cops. So he's a, he's a, he's a deputy chief. He's, he's up there and I'm just, I'm just a dumb B cop in Arizona. And, uh, and so I'm asking him like, Hey, where's a good place to eat? Where's, you know, good sites to see. And he goes, you a cop like for, or for a police department in Arizona. And, uh, and, uh, so I tell him and all of a sudden I'm like his best friend. I just met him. And next thing you know, he's like, Hey, what are you, where are you going to, what are you doing in Manhattan? Where are you staying at? I'm staying at the Roosevelt. Oh, that's right next to Grand Central Terminal. Um, hey, are you? Do you have? Do you have? You're going to the 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 uh, the Empire State Building. You're going to you're going to the you know the the Statue of Liberty. You're going to 9/11 Memorial. All that. He's like, you got tickets for that, right? And I said, well, I got tickets for one place. Like, don't worry about it. He's like, you you tell me. He's like, you tell me when you're coming in. I I got it. And I'm like, well, Steve, like, I don't know. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, where are you flying in? Newark? He's like, no, he's like, you find LaGuardia uh, Kennedy. I'm like, fine, Newark. He's like, okay, okay. He's like, well, you know, when you get into, when you get uh, settled in the Roosevelt Hotel right next in downtown in Midtown, you call me. I'll come down. And he was working a Trump rally that night. And he's like, but you know what? Everything, I got you covered. He's like, I'm like, okay. Like, he's like, you, and so I come get, get settled in and he drives down. And meets me and my now ex-wife and I meet Steve, you know, he's in his unmarked car. We have a drink and I uh, was wearing a fanny pack. Obviously there's a probably gun, <laughs> damn gun in the damn fanny pack, um, but he was close personal friends with, with Donald Trump. He was close personal. He was, he was very well connected in that world. And I, and, and it was, it was funny cause I had no business being a guy, a friend of his, but that that's the way Steve was. And if you knew who he was, that's the way he is. Um, he's just a he's just an amazing man. And uh, so then, Literally, he's like, all right, tomorrow, 10 a.m., you're going to the Empire State Building. He's like, you go to the Empire State Building, you walk around all the suckers that are waiting in line, you go right to the front desk, and you meet Donnie O'Donnell. Donnie O'Donnell, he's the head of security. You tell him Steve Silk sent you, and you go straight to the top free of charge, no problem. I'm like, get the f- out of here. <laughs> so I walk around all the suckers that are waiting in line, because by the way, do you know, every month, 
that the rent is paid for for the Empire State Building, the payments of all that entire building is paid for by the visitors there. I didn't know that, but it, it makes sense. I would believe I believe yeah. that. Yeah, it's that, big, it's that much revenue that's generated. And so I literally walk up, I have his card, and I go, hey, um, I'm here uh, to do a tour of the Empire State Building. You know, Chief Silk sent me. I send him the business card. I'm like, oh, Mr. Logan, we're expecting you. Like, get the fuck out of here. They send me around all the suckers, take me up to the, take me all the way up. No, no charge. Um, we go to these like, all right, you know, 10 a.m. tomorrow, you got to be at Battery Park. You got to get on the boat, go to the Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, get done, have lunch in, in Battery Park. And then you go to the 9-11 museum and all these places. I don't know if you have you been in Statue of Liberty. Um, no. Uh, so the last and only time okay. much to the I'm, so I'm married a New Yorker. Uh, and much to her chagrin, yeah. uh, I have not been to the city of New York since I was 12 or 13, no, 13. Okay. Um, and I'm 31 now. So things so have changed. Things have changed. And, and I, I really want to see the 9-11 memorial because it's when, amazing. I, when I was there, they had only just finished clearing the pit. Oh, okay. And so like, you could peer through like, you know, the green mesh they put over the chain link fences. Like, yeah. You could peer through that. And, and look down into this hole in the ground where, and again, me having been yeah 13 ish years old, like sure. I, could, I couldn't even fathom what it would have looked like to look up at these great buildings. Um, but no, I, I, we went up, my aunt and I went on the ferry that like just goes around. Oh, okay. but doesn't stop there. Yeah. Um, funny enough, it, I would love to go to Ellis Island because my wife's family came through Ellis oh, that's, Island. That's awesome. Dude. Um, uh, my family did not. My family was, Half of them were already in the United States, and then the other half came over through Canada. Um, oh, you betcha. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, come to find out, I think I've got cousins in Canada and Kansas uh, that I've never met. So. <laughs> but you, uh, so now it's it's TSA security. So, you know, it's literally like take your shoes off. Oh, it's like go, going to the airport. Oh, it literally like the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and oh, yeah. And I think it's a little short of a body scanner. Um, but the, uh, um, and then same thing with nine 11, the nine 11. Uh, so I get there and they're like, Hey, they're expecting you. We, and we got you pedestal access. So like to go to the statue of Liberty, you have to get pedestal access. Like you, you don't go into the statue of Liberty pedestal access. And then, then they have like only a certain amount for crown access that you can actually stand in the crown kind of like the ghostbusters did ghostbusters too. Great movie. Um, and so he got us pedestal access. He's like, you're going to meet captain. I don't I forget his name, Joey bag of donuts or something. And, uh, so we meet him and I said, meet the captain. He's like, oh, uh, I'm like, Hey, uh, so, uh, I don't know how this works. You know, I'm at TSA security. I'm like, they're, they're security. I'm like, uh, I don't know how this works. He's like, oh, you're Mr. Logan. Aren't you? I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> how do you know my name? <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, you a cop, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you got a gun. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't got a gun. He's like, okay. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. What if I had a gun? He's like. I don't worry about it. <laughs> what the f so it was like that all the time. And, and, and so, you know, he showed us the town, like he truly, you know, you know, that, that's the way it was. That's the hospitality, right? It's that East coast, you know, Chicago PD. Like I went back with my wife to Chicago. I mean, it's just, I can't, I was a cop. And then my wife's, you know, from, from Chicago and born and raised my, my father-in-law's 32 year Chicago PD. And Karen was 11 year Chicago PD uh, followed in her footsteps and went to Chicago. And it's just, it's just the hospitality, you know, it's not like thin blue, you know, don't play the game of the thin blue. Line. It's just, it's just a fraternity, right? It, there's no corrupt. It's not, I mean, there's always corruption, but it's, 
it's not that way. It's just more of like, Hey, we take care of people. And, uh, you know, I met him and, you know, he met Karen, so got divorced and I met, he met Karen and man, they just hit it off because Karen could hang out with the boys. She can hang with the boys and drink bourbon and, and still be a lady and still yet make, make boys blush. It's hilarious watching her at the bar and just say, she just says stuff that they're like, I can't believe that came out of a woman's mouth. I'm like, that's my wife right there. Um, it's like, she didn't work Chicago PD for nothing. And, uh, and then, you know, met him and you, I think a year later and, um, scrolling Facebook and the, uh, the day that he had the mandatory retire, he took this very car that I rode around in, took the very gun that I shot at, shot with, put up to his head and killed himself. How do I find out? Through Facebook. And he's still one of the highest ranking police officers to commit suicide. And it tore me up pretty bad because I looked at Karen. I said, all he had to do was call me. I said, I looked, I looked at Karen, my wife, and I said, babe, what would happen if I told you, hey, Steve's calling me and he's in crisis? She's like, you know what I would do? Get on a plane. She'd be packing my bag. She'd be packing my bag and, and scheduling the flight. Bye. I got this locked down. You go take care of Steve. Yeah, don't go back until you're done. Correct. And it's... It's, 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 it's sad. You know, he, he, he put a lot of his career in. He was there for the 93 bombing of the World Trade Center and he pulled people out in 2001. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to make this whole, this podcast like this, but it's, but it's, it, we got on the whole hiring, the retention, the, you know, surviving the job. Right. And I, I, hell, I, I, I put my badge number on my, license plate my veteran's license plate i you know i i thought the badge number was was me that you know 656 was me that was my that was my number and what i realized that was the number that the agency gave me <laughs> there's many numbers before that and there's a lot many numbers after that it's their number for me it's not my number for me um because when i turned in the badge that's what it was it was a it was a transaction there you go. Have a good day. And yeah. I'm good. So, well, and there's, there is still a stigma associated with getting help and it, and it, mm. there's, there's cops who will probably say like, no, 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 no. I'm good, bro. No, I'm good, bro. I'm good, bro. Like, no, you're not good. No. And, uh, I think Erica Gaines from tack mobility hits on it. Um, and for somebody who wasn't a cop, she's got a lot of really good insight that people need to listen to. Sure. Um, but it's, as, as a friend and a coworker, you've got to go beyond that. Like, Hey bro, you good? All right, cool. Like, Hey, no, I don't think you're fucking okay, man. We need yeah. to talk about that. Um, and that's why Karen became a stress coach for under the shield because, um, she's had her demons, not to the level that I had, uh, definitely, definitely not going to say that, but, um, that's why she's doing it because, um, she went through some really hard times after leaving, uh, excuse me, the air marshal service, you know, surviving breast cancer. Um, she'll have her opportunity to tell her story. I'm sure on this uh, podcast, but you know, surviving that and getting forced out, you know, and, and like, Holy shit, what do I do now? Um, that was my life, you know? And, uh, like you said, it's, there's a stigma behind it, you know? Yeah, I'm good, bro. You know, no, you're not. No, you're not. It's in it. 
you know, it takes somebody to, to do some intervention or, or you just wake up one day and you're like, what the, am I doing with my life right now? Mm -hmm. And you know, it, does that make you less of a man, more of a man, or does it just make us all human? And, you know, I mean, you'd be surprised at the people that when I do that seminar, you think they have their shit so wound tight and everything's good. And they come up to you and go, dude, like last month, man, I was there. <laughs> and looking among the crowd, you'd be like, dude, that's the last dude I would ever think that would ever come up to me afterwards going, dude, that hit me right, like right between the eyes, like a freaking bullet right between the eyes. I, my life's out of control. Yeah. Like you said, like Adam Brown, right? Mm -hmm. Freaking dev grew seal, right? Does that make him less of a man, more of a man, or just makes him human and go, yeah, he's a squared away operator, but we all bleed. We all cry. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's an important point to hit on is, is as cops, we're not infallible, right? You've got, I mean, you've got politicians at, at local and, and higher levels, you know, federal levels as well. You've got um, citizens, you've got the news media who talk about us as cops, as if we're supposed to, you get it right. 100% of the time. If you don't, you're a fucking failure. Sure. Um, you should know the answer to every question in existence ever. Um, you know, like the, the little kid asking you why, 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 sure. uh, you need to have an answer for all of that. You need to be able to quote every case law ever gone to the Supreme court. You need to be able to quote, uh, uh, and, and correctly interpret revised statutes sure. the first time, every time, but Hey, like we're all, we're all human, yeah. right? Like you're going to forget things. You're going to screw something up. Uh, and sometimes you're going to have dark paths that you go down. It's the, it's inherent to our jobs, right? Sure. Like in, in certain law enforcement jobs, they tell you like, Oh, you're going to investigate child sexual abuse material. Okay. You're only going to, okay. Hey, good on you, but you are only to be in that spot for so many years, but, and we will move you out of that spot because sure. it's not okay. What you're having to look at will, will screw you up. Correct. Six ways from Sunday. Yep. Um, your your SVU detectives, um, your your SWAT guys, your your motors, right? Your investigators, uh, but but your average everyday patrol officer as well, man. I mean, I, I saw more more blood and guts and and carnage. Certainly more suicides that yep. on the road than I ever did in my current. I don't I don't see it in my current job. Um, well, I have once, but um, that was more of a uh, different. Anyways, different learning opportunity with a different bureau. Um, but you're going to see some jacked up things sure. over the course of 20, 25, hell, 30 years, 32 years in law enforcement. Some people are putting in like that's going to take its toll. And what does it do on the back half of the career? I mean, you look at it. The historical statistic is that we survive five to seven years mm -hmm. post retirement. Yep. Hell, I won't even be able to draw my retirement until seven years after I'm able to retire. Like, and they're banking on you dying before then. Well, yeah, that's a different. That's that's, that's, a that's, that's your life insurance uh, and all, and your and your retirement. There, that is that is their gamble that they're uh, that they're putting in there. Sure. But, um, but yeah, man, you got to look at at recruiting and retention. Yep. Um, and again, that's how we that's how we got on on this tangent. And don't I always tell people that if we're going to go down the rabbit hole, chase the rabbit. I don't care. Oh yeah, that I think provides. That is what this show, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm an expert at anything, it's letting my show go off the rails a little bit. So well, it's funny you mentioned retired guys. Like whenever I see a retired guy, like 
and uh, you know, I find out they're retired from law enforcement because I have some really great friends. Like I have this one, uh, North, uh, he's a uh, New York state retired New York state trooper, Dana, and just amazing individual. And, uh, first time I met him, we just hit it off. Like, like just awesome at a, at a class I was teaching. And, uh, I always thank them. I say, suck that pension, suck that pension board dry. Like, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but it's like, you know, how many, how many of our friends like that have died? Like a year, two years. I mean, hell, we had a friend die, what? 14, three, 14 or 15 days. 14 days. He made it two weeks into retirement after serving. Uh, longer than I, well. No, he's like 27 20, years. It was, yeah, something it was like that. A, almost about the time that I'd been alive. So yeah, 27, 28 years. Like, that, like that, right? You know, <laughs> man. Right? So when I meet retired guys that are sucking the pensions, I'm like, dude, do it. Because the, you know, the other side of the game and it's like, live your life, man. Like my, my father, my father-in-law, dude, he's 76 years old, you know, you know, 32 years, Chicago PD, you know, during, you know, the 60s, 70s, you know, 80s, he was, he was the guy that was blocking, he was blocking traffic during the, the Blues Brothers pursuits. He was one of the guys, Chicago PD did the Blues Brothers with Hell the freaking yeah. car, <laughs> uh, down, going down lower Wacker. Um, and, uh, so it's, um, you know, it's, he's living his life, you know, he's living his life in the town, same town we live in. And, and, uh, he's happier than ever. And it's like, good for him, man. You deserve it. Right. You, you dealt with the scum of Chicago and like, Oh my gosh. Like, it's, I can't even like imagine. Oh, what that's like, I, I can't, the, the blessed thing is I, when I, the last couple of years I was a cop, I actually did a ride along with the Chicago PD gang unit North and Oh my gosh, we went to the West side uh, I'm in a little bit of the South side and I got to see it when Karen was in the backseat and I just asked questions all the time because I saw an influx of uh, Chicago gangs and, you know, our town. And so I'm like, I want to see Chicago for what it is. You know, obviously we went there for vacation, but then I did like a four hour ride along and I saw it. I'm like, wow, this is just savage. Like just savage. You know, I got to get your father-in-law on the show. <laughs> oh God, Tommy weaves. <laughs> uh, Dude, it, you, you, you know, hear about, about the old days, right? The, the guys who were the cops in the seventies, the sixties, seventies and the eighties. Right. And it, yeah, I just talked to a dude on Instagram yesterday whose dad, and I don't remember what, like what agency he was with, but it, I mean, you want to talk about remote. Like he was the only guy, like the only deputy for a couple hundred square miles. Yeah. And he had a revolver with one moon clip of ammunition. Bitching. And that was it. Shooting people six rounds at a time. Like, I can't even, Lord. you know, the days even, you didn't even have a radio. No. Like, you just, like, nope. you just showed up at the end of tour. And if you didn't, they had to go find you. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, I'll let Karen elaborate on it, but it's so many times because, you know, Chicago is a big police department. You know, I think it's like 18,000 cops. And it's funny because my wife, like, you know, she's known as the Weaves. Um, so my wife's uh, main name is Weaver. So I, you know, we go in, oh, the weaves, the weaves, Weaver. And so my, when my wife became a cop, you know, my, her dad was still on the job. And they'd be like, Weaver. And it'd be like, Kay Weaver. And they're like, Weaver, you you related to Tommy Weaver? Well, that's my dad. And they go, oh, my gosh, we love Tommy. Oh, my God. And they'd start on a story and they go, oh, we can't tell that to your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and they walk away. So... So, you know, I got, I've, 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 uh, fed, uh, Tommy Weaver, you know, a couple Michelob Ultras and, uh, and have extracted some, some Chicago. If PD that's what I have and, to put in my fridge, I will not be. About I don't it. know. He's got, he, if you think I've got ADHD, Tommy Weaves, but he, 
he's an amazing man. And, uh, I'm blessed to be married to his daughter and I'm blessed to be, uh, to have a father-in-law with, uh, with, the the, the amount of experience that he has. And it's just, it's awesome. It's, uh, and he's a great, uh, bonus granddad to, to my daughter. So I'm Again, happy. And it's funny because when I first met him, I, I, when I was about to meet him, I was scared to death of him. And my wife's like, dude, and I'm like, this is my second marriage. I'm like, I'm a grown ass man. I'm not like, you know, a, you know, pimple faced teenager trying to ask the daughter to marry him. But I'm like 32 years, Chicago B, this guy's got to be, and you know, he's a cowboy. Like literally it's funny. He's, like, he's a cowboy. And, uh, and so then when I met him, he's like, he's like, so you're the guy, huh? <laughs> I'm like, I hope I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm not a guy, but I'm the guy. <laughs> And uh, we hit it off, and uh, it was just funny. And she's like, "You to think that I was actually afraid of him? It's he's just a great guy." So I'm, I'm blessed. So, yeah. Anyways, that was a good rabbit hole, man. I, I that mean, was it, awesome. That was, that that was, was like, everything and more that an episode should be. Yeah, right. But I, I will, uh, I will kind of get us back on track. And yeah, uh, please do, and and move us in a slightly different direction. Although who yeah. knows? Because uh, uh, believe it or not, an hour into this. That's only two of those questions down. Sorry, dude. <laughs> no, don't don't ever apologize for that, man. And it, whoever's listening, if you come on my show, and like I said, chase the rabbit. I don't care. It it makes for a, a solid and entertaining show. I don't script this thing. I don't even usually have any notes in front of me. <laughs> uh, it's just a conversation uh, amongst friends with good people. So yeah. uh, what books are you currently reading or listening to? Oh, man. So I just finished uh, the Simon Sinek uh, uh, books a little while ago. I was on a hiatus of books for a while building the company. It's like, holy crap. Like, it's funny because people are like, you know, I traded in my 40 to 60 hour career in law enforcement to work 80 plus hours in entrepreneurship and owning your own company. There's, you know, office hours aren't, right. <laughs> aren't in the question. 24, seven, three, six. Yeah. When that Google voice phone that you call the guardian phone line, I answer it uh, short of like 2 AM and you're in, I'm not picking you up in old town. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I went on hiatus for a while. So now, I started reading, I just finished a book called uh, The Rise of Superman, um, and it's not a comic book. So a lot of people go, you're reading comic books? Um, it's actually about human performance, um, and it's uh, written by Stephen Kotler. And it talks about the um, how, uh, so Stephen Kotler is a journalist, um, got into extreme sports, and then he wrote about extreme sports athletes from Laird Hamilton, you know, uh, big wave, wave surfer, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, base jumpers to all of this. And like, for example, it's how did we go from, you know, the times of, you know, uh, let's just say Olympians, um, 26.2 miles. And then we, you know, we started, then we started measuring how fast we ran in a mile. Right. And then we got to, to the four minute mile, right. We could never break the four minute mile barrier. Right. And they, their science actually believed that if we, if a man um, or a person ran faster than four minutes per mile, that they would actually die. There, there was actually studies on that, and it was called the barrister effect. Well, it was called the barrister effect after Roger Barrister broke the four minute mile and survived. Um, and now we routinely suck at science, right? right hashtag. I'm just following the science, right? <laughs> um, you know, going back to the whole conspiracy thing, but, uh, but the whole thing is, is, um, it's called the barrister effect, um, that, that people think it's impossible until somebody does it. And then when somebody does it, innovation just goes, goes rampant. And it's about that. It's about innovation. It's about, um, 
you know, how professional athletes think, how they perform positive, what we call positive thought interaction performance and the actual, not only the, the neurobiology, but also the neurochemistry behind it and, you know, dopamine and, and, you know, serotonin, how that also affects. And it's, just, it's, it's really sciencey, but it's also really cool because it's, it talks about ex- extreme sports, um, for the longest time, you know, for over 600 years, they, nobody could ride a 20 foot wave, 25, sorry, 25 foot wave. And then Laird Hamilton rides a bigger wave than 25 feet. And then now we have guys routinely riding 80 foot waves, you know, and you look at the innovation, right? You look at like the 1080, right? And in, in, in skateboarding, right? It was like, holy shit. And now guys are pulling off 1440s. Now you pull a 1080, you're like, <laughs> you're snoring, right? And so how like, do Hey, 1999 called. Correct. <laughs> so how did we go from all that time not being able to do it? And then within the past 20 years, it's because we've learned how the human psyche actually can open up that. And then I got done with that. And then the next progression is stealing fire. You know, how do we steal Perseus's fire? How do we, how do we, how do we unlock our, our truest potential and what we call flow states, right? Um, Cause you've done it. Everybody's done it, right? We're, I think right now we're in a flow state, right? We, we look down and we're like, holy shit, it's been an hour. Right. Right, because it's we're we're in a flow state. We're we're not scripted, right? We're we're just flowing with the conversation wherever it goes, right? And then next thing you look down, you go, "Holy shit, it's been an hour and eight minutes." Um, so everybody's done that in their life. That's a true flow state, right? You're doing what you love with people that you love, and 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 it, it is not work, but yet you're producing what you're producing something that's pretty damn good, right? Um, at least in your own mind. Um, and then if you produce something that's good in your own mind and produce something that's good to the public, you can monetize that. Right. You can, you can open a business. <laughs> exactly. You can monetize that. Um, because one of my great friends, my mentors, um, his name's Matt Schneider. He works for the project. Um, so he works with Bedro Kulian, who's a multi-billionaire, former cop. So a former cop turned entrepreneur. So he's, he's one of my biggest mentors and just amazing individual. He's a cop in Idaho and, uh, decided to, open his own business a la Josh Logan. Um, but he's, he's, he's definitely progressing in a different way and I'm happy for him. Um, and I, you know, hope to grow up to be Matt Schneider someday. Um, and so he's working with the project and doing a lot of different cool things. Um, and you know, he, he, we sat down, we sat down and we, you know, he's just like that. You can do this, Josh, you can totally become an entrepreneur. And, like he built, I don't know if you've seen the matrix, uh, not the matrix, the movie, but there it's like a four quadrant matrix. The bottom left hand matrix is, um, is something you're good at, but you hate doing. So if there's something that you're good at, you, you, you're good, but you hate doing right. For me, it was report writing. I was pretty good at writing reports, but I fucking hated it. Right. So you should delegate those as much as possible. And then your bottom right is something you're, you're bad at, but you love doing for a lot of people that's golf, right? You're terrible at it, but you just love doing it. You, you can't monetize that. That's a hobby, right? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that costs you money correct, correct. <laughs> and correct. dignity. Correct. <laughs> um, and then the top right is something you're good at and you, you like doing right, which is good, right? Which is where most people are at in their world. And then the, the unicorn of the world is something you, you love and something that you're great at, right? And that's typically by feedback. Um, and, 
And so like that blew my mind. Um, and I only learned that recently. And so reading, going back to the book, it's, it's about that flow state. It's about that. And, but then it also talks about some controversial, you know, uh, topics like such as, you know, we talk about the, the neurobiology, but then also some controversial topics of, for example, the burning man, right. The burning man, you know, festival, right. It's not a bunch of uh, druggies, but it talks about microdosing on LSD. It talks about, um, you know, psychedelic drugs to, to MDMA, to, 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 literally control doses of that to open up your, your innovation side of your world, what they call hyperfrontality of your, your prefrontal cortex. And so it's a lot of that stuff. And it's a lot of like very disruptive stuff, but it's like, holy shit. It's like, you know, I'm not dropping acid. I'm not dropping MDMA or ecstasy, but, but it's just like, there's a world out there that, that is, it goes against the societal norms, but that's how, that's how the iPhone was created. That's how some of the greatest inventions were created because of that. I mean, hell, I mean, dev grew microdosis. Like there's, there are reports that, that the Osama bin Laden raid was planned microdosing on LSD. Like, how do you think that's outside of the box? So <laughs> it's uh so that's, that's the two books. That's the book that I'm on right now, stealing fire and about 90% of the way. And then the next book I'm reading is Stephen Kotler, and that's the uh, Art of the Impossible. All right. Yeah, so that's the the trilogy that I'm on, and it's oh, earth-shattering, mind-blowing in my mind. It's one thing I've noticed uh, fairly consistently about my uh, my guests is that everybody's got some pretty fucking interesting reads. <laughs> and, and I don't know what it is about. about Not everybody that's been on my show has been a cop, but uh, generally those type A you know, driven personalities, uh, all have pretty decent, uh, decent. I, my, my two read list is getting vastly, uh, <laughs> out of control because I can only read and listen to so many things so quickly. Sure. Um, uh, but no, you, you do talk about like, uh, you'd mentioned just to kind of took a hiatus from, from books, just trying to grow. Dude, I, I was, I loved reading. I was a voracious reader as a kid. And then it just kind of like fell off the last, last year, you know, last two years. And now I'm slowly, you know, trying to oh. just get back into it, but it's it, life. It, it, it's life, man. But it, whether it's a, a fictional book or a nonfiction, you know, self-improvement book or something like that, it, it, it in and of itself, that gives you that sort of escape, right? Getting back to the whole mental health part of it yeah. is, is give yourself, give yourself 20 minutes a day to just sort of conk out and, yeah. and point your focus elsewhere. And if you can learn something out of it, like in stealing fire, if you can learn something out of it, then, uh, great. I'm listening to, I say, I listen to a shitload of audiobooks. audible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. on audible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm listening to a book called fair play by written by a former CIA case okay. officer. And he, he presents in his book, uh, well, I'm up to 25 scenarios right now. So I'm going to say it's probably about 30 scenarios of in terms of espionage, and you talk about what goes against societal norms based on our American culture are the given scenarios morally and ethically acceptable. Yeah. And, uh, and some of it, like I find myself going, well, shit, I don't really have an answer for that yet. And then he goes on to kind of explain the backstory of it and how his, his scenarios are all grounded in truth. Right. Sure. But there's only so much that, that he's allowed to say, but, um, uh, no, it's always it's always uh, interesting to hear what people are reading and, and keep those books going. And well, I've I, just I've just discovered that uh, 
like when I talk over here, I don't think that my microphone is as good. But when I come back up here, I seem to be much clearer. I don't know. <laughs> this was a more expensive microphone. I thought it was going to be much better. Sorry, that was my my own little rabbit hole. No worries. Right there. Um, my next question to you. Oh boy. And uh, maybe we've made we. We might have kind of talked about it, but well, you, this is take two because is, the first podcast was deleted because <laughs> you had you're on your big city detective that got called out. So uh, you can go forwards or backwards ten years for a thirty minute conversation with yourself without having to worry about any butterfly effect. You step on a leaf, and Vladimir Putin is the gladiator emperor of the universe. I think they're just savage, um, uh, you know, but. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it past you uh, or anybody. God knows I would go back 10 years and be like, Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like butterfly effect. Yeah, though. it sounds a little bit like a butterfly. And, and I guess it is. I should say there there would be no like earth-shattering negative effect. Marty, you got to you <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah, none of this, Marty. Did you see the family guy thing where he kept going back and having sex with his mom? No, that sounds right up the. That sounds right up the. Oh my gosh! That was. Uh, oh yeah. fuck yeah! Yeah, all right. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was a pretty funny Family Guy episode. Anyways, um, ten years forward or backwards, thirty minute conversation with yourself. Which direction do you go, and what do you say? So I, you know, um, oof. I think I'd go forward. Um, I'm a. I'm always the guy that's always going forward. So I would like to see myself in ten years. Right. So that, that, and that, you know, and it may not even be a conversation, maybe just a fly on the wall at a very uh, pinpoint time of, you know, of where our business and I, you know, where are my business, my relationships, whatever the case may be, where my life literally vectors off so that I can, that I can go back <laughs> and yeah, butterfly affect the shit out of it and, and go like that. Maybe there's things that I, the choices that I made that I made 10 years ago, which is the present day that could then affect 10 years from now. Um, because I look at a couple other businesses that are at that 10 year mark and there's some that are wildly successful, crazy successful. Like we're talking around that $24 million a year mark. So 2 million a month, um, to people that are just barely making it. I mean, uh, you know, you look at small quote unquote small business. I hate the word small business because if you think you're if you say you're a small business owner, that's exactly what you own as a small business. So you're like, you're uh, you're pigeonholing yourself. Yeah. It's an entrepreneurship, right? Um, Simon Sinek says the best is, um, you know, small business owners, small own small businesses, entrepreneurs solve problems. So it, it, if you want to monetize something, you solve somebody's problem and you're not getting paid for your time. You're getting paid for your expertise. And that's really it. Um, and so I would like to see myself 10 years from now, just to see where I'm at and you can go like, okay, um, do I need a course correction? where I'm at right now, present day, 10 years before, or do I need to keep chugging along and going, all right, this is trust the process and, and, and go forth from there because that's, that's just my mindset, you know? And people are just like, dude, you're constantly going like, you're just go, 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 go. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, um, why am I going to stop? Cause I don't report to anybody now besides Karen. That's the only person I report to, <laughs> uh, you know, that's the CEO in, in so many ways. Um, and I'm the dreamer of the, I'm the dreamer of the company and she's the, and she's the rock. She's the financial center. She's the, she's the, uh, like when I told her when I woke up one day and like, we're buying a, buying a simulator. <laughs> what, the f what the fuck? I'm like, we bought the same simulator my former agency has. 
uh, and it's completely mobile. We put in people's living rooms. You know, we're, we're traveling with it. It goes in a Pelican case. I can fly with it. But I wake up one day. I'm like, we're buying a simulator. She's like, what the? F-? You know, like, you know, five figures later, we finally got it. And um, but it's, but now we've, we've pretty much of all our classes, we we we're we're on our way to paying it off. And it's, you know, if you you know the whole business mindset is if you can buy an asset and get it paid off in three years, that's a successful capital what we call capital project. And uh, just learning from the you know, people that are so much smarter than I am. And, uh, and so like, that's the world I'm in. And, and so like, I would love to see myself in 10 years and just go, okay, all right. Either whew, course correct or, or man, like, and I, and I'm not looking to make millions of dollars. I'm looking to, you know, people are like, well, what do you want to do? You know, what is the whole purpose of building guardian? You know, obviously it's helping people, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's why we do it. Right. And, um, but you know, also there's, there's an aspect of, I want to make, I want to make money to where like my wife and I can enjoy our lives. Right. And I, as an entrepreneur, I make my own schedule, right. You know, like you've been, we've, we've been talking, you know, for almost a year trying to schedule ourselves cause you're busy, I'm busy. Um, but we just couldn't get our schedules on the same track. But if somebody needs something, I can, I can go, all right, I'll push this and I'll push that and I'll make this happen and, and, and do it. And I, and I get to do what I want. I get to say what I want. I don't, I don't, I'm not censored by anybody. Um, and it's, oh man, it's freeing. It's so freeing. It's, it's, um, and it's not that I want to go out there and make salacious comments and, and, you know, lewd comments. It's just more of, I want to build my, what I want to do. And, um, it's, it's awesome. Like I'm going to a, a law enforcement training conference and it is so awesome going to a law enforcement training conference and not being in law enforcement. <laughs> no, it sounds shitty. But I can say what I want. I can do what I want. I can build relationships the way I want without any going back to my department and worrying about, you know, hey, you spoke out of turn. No, I own my own company now. I can, I can do what I want. Uh, so yeah, that's a long-winded answer to a very simple question. But you know that you know that's my mo. Hey, but, that's all right, man. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna I'm gonna cha- uh, 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 basically shoot you down another rabbit hole now again to kind of pivot. We're doing things a little out of order. Full send tonight, all the but, way, but that's okay. Keep the um, bourbon flowing. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm like warming up right now. This is great. Your uh, man time. I love it. Your career, your professional career, I should say. You started out in the Air Force. I did because uh, I scored high enough. <laughs> to my Marines and my Army guys out there, I scored high enough. You had the nicest barracks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there were dorms. No, they were dorms. Cable TV, air now, conditioning. Now, share with the class where you were stationed. Uh, so Cause yeah. it was, it was not Oceanside, California. Well, there's no, there's no basis in ocean. That's a Navy thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't choose it. I was originally was a seer special. I was going to go in as a spear specialist. And then, um, I, I switched over to security forces, which is their military police and, and the air force. And I choose, I chose Travis air force base, which is, um, uh, California. Mm-hmm. It's where they launched all the missiles, you know, the, the, I guess the space missiles I chose uh, somewhere in Florida. I think it was Eglin, Eglin air force base. And then I chose Davis Mothin or a Luke. And they gave you none of them. No. Uh, you know, they always say, you know, want to make God laugh, tell him you're going to do his plans. And they sent me to exotic mine at North Dakota. <laughs> so mine at I, air force base. The first time you told me that I had to look it up. Well, usually people do because I had no idea what you were talking about. So there's two types of people that when I mentioned my not, there's people like, huh, which was you or people go, why not? My not freezes the reason, right? 
they go mine out North Dakota. Uh, you know, I, it's funny cause I grew up in, in mid in Ohio. I grew up in Southeast Ohio on a 60 acre horse farm. Uh, so it's funny cause when I wear cowboy boots, people are like, you ain't no cowboy. I'm like, dude, I had eight horses in any given time as a kid. I grew up on 60 acres and then I moved to Arizona to get away from the white shit that falls from the sky, commonly referred to as snow. And, uh, um, graduated from high school out here and went to ASU, wanted to be, I wanted to be an Eagle driver my entire career. That's what I wanted to do. So like when you, you mentioned air and space museum, dude, I, I am a, I'm an aerospace nerd. Like I, you and I'll oh, If you and I go down there, like our wives, we need to bring our camping bags. Our wives us. are fucked. Like, <laughs> like, like literally you take me to an aerospace, you take me, it seems like you and me to an aerospace museum with our wives. They're like, all right, where, where did they go? Well, I'd have, you walk out their main hangar, and I, uh, it's been two years since I was there. And first thing you get when you walk out of the hangar into the into the big yard where yeah. they keep all the planes, first thing you see is an eagle. So full freedom boner. Oh, just, yeah. yeah. So that's what I wanted to do. I, I, all my life, I wanted to be an F, F, F15C eagle driver. That's what I want to do. And then I met, it's funny, I just met uh, through a business connection, an eagle driver. I'm like, it's funny, I do in my intro that all I want to do is be an eagle driver. You know, be a fighter pilot, dude. That's like, that's the biggest bad. That's what job. you joined the Air Force for. Yeah, and it's funny because you know, everybody says, you know, oh, you're in the Air Force. What, what were you a pilot of? I'm like, no, no. I was in the backseat in the helicopter with the big guns. So, um, so yeah, I joined ASU and I wanted to be an Eagle driver and I realized I suck hardcore math and uh, joined the Air Force and wanted to see the world on their dime and uh, got sent to Exotic Mine in North Dakota and did my nuke time up there. And, and well, and, and, and there you go. So talk to us uh, about this, uh, about your, your very specialized, you weren't exactly checking IDs at the gate. No, uh, it's funny because Minot Air Force Base is, is one of those weird bases that they have two sides of the base. Um, they have the base side, uh, which is 13 mile, about 13 miles north of the town. A uh, city is 55,000 people or so. Um, and it like the, the topography of North Dakota, if you don't know, is as flat as the tabletop that we has in front of us. Uh, it's not if the wind is a blowing, it's how hard the wind is a blowing. Um, and that's what we call wind chill. So, um, so we have the base side, which is the fifth, uh, the fifth, um, uh, is a bomb wing, the fifth bomb wing. So those are the B-52s. Those are what we call our rivet counters. So people that guard B-52s are called rivet counters because they walk around the aircraft and count all the rivets on the aircraft. Um, so, and then they also do base security and LE. So those are the the ID checkers, the, the base, uh, the base LE, stuff like that. And then you have the, at the time it was called the 91st missile wing. Uh, now it's called Space Wing because it's now part of, uh, I think it's, it's Air Force Global Strike Command now, but it was, uh, it was Space Command when I was in. Uh, I'm not I'm saying I'm like old guy. I was like 2005. <laughs> You're like, well, I was in uh, Nam. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I flew in Hueys. When people go back in Nam and they're like, oh, I flew in Hueys, I'm like, that's exactly what I flew in the backseat. So um, I did. So when I, uh, when I first joined, I, I was in the 91st Missile Wing. That's all I did time in. And so there was, and it's not classified. There's 150 launch facilities in and around Minot Air Force Base. There's 150 launch facilities in and around Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's F.E. Warren Air Force Base. And 150 launch facilities in and around Great Falls, Montana. And that's um, uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base. So there's three nuke bases in, in the United States. There used to be a lot more, but after start and salt trees, um, we've reduced a lot of those. Uh, so those are each one of those sites have a Minuteman three warhead and uh, missile in them. And each, each one of those missiles have three warheads in them. It's not classified. Um, it's like the LGM something. Um, so it's as, it's as about as tall as a three story building um, in underground. 
And these launch facilities are literally in the middle of sunflower and cornfields. That's all it is in North Dakota. A lot of sunflower fields. And they have an indeterminate lease. They pay the farmer for that land for the rest of their, their forever. Right. Um, and so what each one of those launch facilities are not manned. There is a missile alert facility that is attached to a certain number of launch facilities, the silos. And, the P, and so then you travel out there. So it's a facility out there that has bunks and you travel out there for four or five days. And you have the kids in the, we call them the kids in the basement. Those are the missileers, the guys that turn the missiles, the, the kids in the pajamas, because they wear the flight suits, but they're not really pilots. It's weird. Um, they're the missileers. And then all the security's topside. Um, and so I did that for about six months and sucked. And then I got assigned to, I applied to the tactical response force, TRF, um, the 91st security forces group. And my job was to be the airborne asset. So when those nukes need to be worked on, these silos are anywhere from 70 to hundred miles away from base and their city streets connecting them back to base. And so they would, uh, they would drive a, a semi truck. It's a, a very conspicuously marked United States air force, uh, um, semi truck onto the, the site. And when they have to work on it, they'd upload it on the semi truck and then drive it back to base. Um, you know, uh, on city streets, you know, but uh, they're very high security. So people think like, oh, they're just driving down the street and with a nuke, <laughs> with a nuke, and there's nobody out there. Trust me, there's a whole lot of there's. You don't see everybody. Yeah, you, well, you see a lot of people. Um, it's where the DoD Department of Defense runs conspicuous convoys, while the DOE, the Department of Energy, runs inconspicuous convoys. So at any given time, you probably drove by a DOE convoy and you never realized it. Uh, if you run by a DoD convoy you will know it. <laughs> uh, so each, each keep, one of the keep back 300 meters, you will be shot. It's funny. I saw a TikTok video uh, recently and they're like, what is this guy transporting? And oh, he, with the, uh, with the, all the bear cats and whatnot. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a bear cats. And it's a, it's a, that's, that's a PT van, what they call the payload transporter van. And that has a three nuclear warheads in it. Yeah. Look, Man, just keep TikToking and uh, maybe be oblivious on this one. You'll be Correct. a lot happier. Yeah, just don't get between the Bearcat and that PT van, and everything will go a lot You'll, better. You will lose every time. Correct. Yeah, because there's a Mark 19 40 millimeter grenade launcher on the top of that. Uh, so I was the airborne asset. So I, as a team leader, I would I would actually coordinate with convoy command on on the ground and take us from. Essentially, my job was to take us from point A to point B. Um, you know, eventless. Um, and so you know, for, uh, so we'd have to reroute the convoy. Um, from something as innocuous as a, um, you know, a, uh, uh, a traffic accident and we have to reroute to, okay, we have a valid threat and we have to reroute or do a safe haven or whatever the case may be. Um, so that we don't have an empty quiver or bent arrow or whatever the case, you know, a broken arrow, you know, they're all code words. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was my job for, for my job was to fly in helicopters in the backseat, not in the front seat. The backseat, flying helicopters, shoot big guns, kick doors, blow stuff up for for three years, and and uh, and I just I'm like it's been fun, it's been real. I just decided to get out and join the the Minot Police Department in the city of Minot. So at the time it was sixty sworn officers, fifty five thousand people, um, and I watched a town go from literally Mayberry to murder capital, North Dakota. We had eight homicides the last year that I worked there. We had a quadruple homicide, um, and a guy went savage on his family. And, uh, um, and then, then the 2011 flood happened and it, and literally, if you look it up on YouTube, my not, uh, flood 2011, um, it destroyed our town Katrina style. And so, you know, those horrible NIMS, you know, CBTs that you have to do for the national incident management system. I watch it go in full effect. I watched the whole federal government come into our town to save our town. 
And that's when I realized I'm like, it's time to get out of here and time to go back to Arizona. And I joined, uh, joined the police department in Arizona and the rest was history. I joined the police department there. And, and you Did ultimately over 10 years, about 10 years, about 10 years. And then you ultimately decided you made the decision, uh, not going to stick it out to that mystical, magical pension, uh, going to, yeah. going to head out and, and, uh, carve your own path with guardian training and consulting. Was there, was there a certain amount of stress associated with that decision? It was the most difficult decision of my entire life to this point in my life. Um, yeah, it was tough. Um, leaving, I mean, it's no secret. I was, by the time I was with OT and all that, I mean, I was probably making 85 to 90 grand a year. I mean, that's, and all, and it's no disrespect. And I don't know disrespect to law enforcement career, but all we had to do was show up. Like, I mean, really, right. You know, like uh, as one lieutenant, as one uh, salty ass lieutenant, when I joined, it says, you know, Hey, I got some advice for you. All you have to do is don't fuck up on a slow news day. <laughs> like that's solid. I like that. <laughs> you don't fuck up on a slow news day. <laughs> like, all right. I mean, it, it you know, and, and again, like what I realized in my law enforcement career, I was, I was a meat eater, what they call a meat eater, char, hard charger. Um, I had a very, I was blessed to have a very good Sergeant, the first, my very first Sergeant. And he's like, do you want to be a good cop or do you want to be an exceptional cop? Like, holy shit. I'm like, of course I want to, like you said, type A, I want to be an exceptional cop. And he slams down this binder and I still have it. And it's probably three inches thick and it's all case law. He's like, no, this shit front to back. And a lot of it was search and seizure case law. So, you know, from Terry versus Ohio to, um, you know, to uh, care United States v. Carroll to uh, Tennessee very Gardner to, um, to literally Granby Connor front and back, learn that shit front and back. Um, and I learned it and I became a case law junkie and I became a resource and I loved it and I love case law. I still love it to this day. And, uh, and so what I realized is the hard chargers, man, like you, you just put your knockout on the line, not only from a physicality standpoint, but the, the possibility that you go out there and, and, and confront violent, Oh, sorry, bad people that are violent that don't want to go to jail. You have the possibility of using force, more force on them than say somebody that sits behind a Walmart TikToking. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're seeing now. You know, people stand behind a Walmart TikToking and and they're like, well, why are you getting more use of forces versus somebody else? It's like, dude, do you know how many arrests I made this past year, this past month, or how many warrants I cleared, or whatever the case may be? And it's like, and so. So when I, I started, you know, I had to, had some, you know, it was, it was what it was. And I just, you know, then I, I built a company, you know, I left, I, I worked for other companies teaching for like five different companies teaching on the side. Right. I, I was a police officer and I did my passion projects of teaching civilians and law enforcement for other companies. I was help building other people's companies. And I realized I have a very entrepreneurial spirit and I, you know, I don't know how many times I would, I would go and see a problem and I would solve it. And people are like, well, what the f are you doing? what do you mean? What am I doing? It's like, well, who told you to solve that? I'm like, well, was it a problem? If it's, if you're saying I solved it, then there was a problem in the first place. They're like, well, yeah, but you're kind of not authorized to do that. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what are we doing here? And so I was building other people's companies. And then, um, my wife and I left, a left, we met teaching somewhere else. Right. And we really hit it off. And it, it wasn't not, a, it started, it didn't obviously it didn't start as a romantic thing. It was, what I realized, my wife has an insane ability to reach a demographic that she, I'm, she's just so much better at doing women, right? 
We're teaching women. I don't know how many women have told, come up to me in my career and go, hey, you know, Josh, I'm thinking about carrying a gun. How, how do I how do I carry a gun? And I'm like, why? With, with now with Karen, I'm like, why are you asking me? I'm the bearded knuckle dragon Neanderthal. Like there's a woman right there who also was an air marshal, right? 1.9 million miles under that woman's belt, you know, in 13 different countries. And I don't know how many different cities within those 13 countries carrying a gun on an aircraft, right? We're, if she found somebody found a gun on her, that's a bad day. And so I'm like, so she can reach that demographic. That's so much better because it's funny. Cause I've have women, cause I usually answer the phone for guardian and I have women that go, and we have this awkward conversation for five minutes. And then I finally realize I'm like, and I'm like, is, is it because you just don't want to learn from me <laughs> from the bearded Josh dude? And she's like, I kind of want to learn from your wife. I'm like, that's fine. Let's just get that over with. I'm like, let me hand her the phone. Correct. Or, you know what? Let me, let me ask her and find a date and we can find a, find a time that we can set up a lesson for you. Let's do it done. And she's just, and, and they're kind of like concerned about offending me. I'm like, you don't, you're not going to offend me. Right. Like if, if I can, how can I walk into a room full of women? Right. And talk about women's safety and, and that being the bearded dude, right. The knuckle dragon, Neanderthal cop. Right. And, and it's not that I can't do it. It's she's so much better at it than me. And then, but then I can walk into a room full of SWAT dudes or I can walk into a room full of meeting male ego narcissistic dudes and we can set the tone straight, right? We can, you know, how I set the tone straight is like, Hey guys, I'm just teaching you a way, right? You know, walk in and, and be very humble about it. And then we go out to the range, right? Let's stop talk, you know, stop running your mouth and start running your gun. Right. And we, and we, we, we see performance on demand. Right. And then when they, when, when we show that, Hey, the, and it's not a, it's not an ego thing. It's when they see deficiencies in their own self, they have two choices, right? They can, they can walk away, right. And keep the ego centric thing and go, you know, maybe there's something to learn here. Right. And so with me being there that the, and it's, 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 it's a natural tendency. It, then it becomes a pecking order kind of thing, right? It's a, we, we see where the pecking order is, but if my wife does it, it, it tends to, and that's the biggest thing she had was she becomes a bitch. That's the scary thing with a woman is, and so it's what we realize is we have these strengths and weaknesses. And so when we started guardian, um, we saw it, we were building it. And then the feedback that we'd get honest feedback, right? And it's not blowing smoke up our keister. Um, you can see it in our reviews and we don't pay for those reviews. We don't pay for any of them. Um, and so we started seeing this feedback and like, babe, we got something here. And then, but when, because we're working for somebody else, it was never not appreciated. It was just more of like, it was just, it is what it was. We built guardian and I, we started guardian and we're like, holy crap, this is doing really well. I mean, and then I reached a point where I'm like, and every cop, you know, may cop have a side hustle, but it gets so big that now I've got to take days off or, you know, something slips or, and I'm like, and then, so then you have a choice, right? You have a choice to either, you know, okay, we need to cut this, the, the funnel off for a minute, right? We're getting too much business and we need to cut it off because I'm, it's, it's affecting my primary career, right? Um, cutting that off. And then what happens is the funnel dries up of your business and literally your business dies while your career thrives. And then you're like, man, I really want to get back to that. And you rebuild it again. Yeah. Start back at square one. Yeah. And it's like this endless cycle. And so then, you know, I saw where my, you know, it's not even, I saw where my career is going. It's just, you know, it was so, it was so nice when I had, when I had, um, 
when I had, uh, you know, my clients for guardian wave at me with all five fingers huh. and then I'd go to work, I go to work and put the blue suit on and I'd have people wave at me with one finger. Um, and, uh, and I started realizing I really love teaching. I really loved, you know, that aspect and learning as well. So like teaching and then also being a student because like it's <laughs> dude, it's, I've, I have put myself to more classes now than ever, like trying to put my, um, trying to, trying to attend other instructors classes. And it has been so much fun just sitting there. It's funny because I have friends attend with me and they're like, dude, you can, I know you can talk a lot and our viewers know I can talk a lot now. Um, so you can talk a lot, but you didn't say much in this class. I'm like, cause I was a student. So I might not my place to talk. If I'm at a shooting class, what should I be running? Yeah, your gun, not my, your mouth, My right? trigger finger. Run, run your gun, not your mouth. And by all means, chalk. I'm talk. I'm sitting over here choking on buffalo trace. You're good. Went, went down the I wrong know you tube. Went, so. I know you went, you went hard on that, too. I'm like, holy shit. You're, you're going hard on that. Um, but no, it's, uh, you know, and so so there was finally a, a, a decision that, you know, and it's not even Karen. Karen helped me with it. Like, and she didn't, she didn't bully me in it. She didn't do any of that. But she's just looking at me. She's like, Josh, the potential that you have to do this. And, and, and she built me up. She, you know, she continues building me up and she's, she's being the amazing wife that she is and, and business partner. Um, but, but then finally it came to that decision. Like I, I made that decision around, around Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving time of 2019. And, uh, and then like December, I think it was December 29th, December 30th. I walked into the police department and I, uh, I, you know, walked in and it's funny cause, uh, uh, and then he goes, what's up? And I have my letter of resignation in my hand and he goes, I hand it to him. He's like, would you think about this? I'm like, no, Mike, I just got drunk last <laughs> night and I'm still drunk today. I drove in and you know, I'm just going to go walk in the chief's office and hand this to come on, Mike. So it was, it was a, it was a very, uh, it was a very uh, tough decision to, to make. It was one of the most tough decisions of my life. And I gave him about five weeks worth of notice. And my last day was January 31st and, uh, and a hundred percent entrepreneur. You know, I think I stuck with the reserve program for like a year and, and it was just, then it was just like, okay, what are we doing here? Right. It's a half in half out. And, and I uh, decided to pull the plug and call it a, call it a career at, you know, 12 years or so of total law enforcement. And, uh, yeah, that's the story. I'm sticking to it. All right. And I want to, uh, give you our, our last few minutes here. What, when people go to your website, uh, or, or find you on social media, what, uh, what kind of training can they expect from guardian? What sort of courses do you put on? You've talked about medical and stop the bleed. Um, certainly anybody who follows my channel, uh, I harp on, on medical, probably more than I do on, on anything else. Um, but you've also mentioned, you know, that, that sort of, uh, the, the good old, uh, hashtag and, and very true, uh, somewhat cliche, but very true saying of <laughs> run your gun, not your mouth. Uh, cause somebody can come to you and tell you, Oh, I shoot a 250. Oh, I, I'm, I'm a badass shot. Oh, I can handle any, any gun you put in my hands. Okay. Get on the range and prove it. Don't tell. Sure. Don't tell me. Show me. Correct. But when you when somebody goes for a guardian class, what what do they see? What do they expect? So yeah, it's it's different. I mean, our our business model is definitely different. I mean, our our core classes, I guess you can say, is classes right now, 
are a concealed carry class, Arizona concealed carry class. And we get a lot of, the, you know, I wouldn't say trolls, but yeah, we're straight up trolls. You know, I don't need a concealed carry permit to carry in Arizona. You're absolutely right. Um, and that's really a law and legal seminar. Obviously, I'm not a bar certified attorney. I can't give legal advice. But I teach the Arizona revised statute as is written, right? And then based on my own experiences, you know, as a police officer. Um, so that's ranging from, you know, where you can and can't carry, who you can and can't shoot. No, we won't give you a list of names. Um, to, um, you know, you get pulled over. You know, you have a gun on the car. You know, that's a huge, a huge concern of... You know, but it's taught from the perspective of us, right? Of of us law enforcement. This is what we encounter, right? Um, simply put, I can deal with a person with attitude, and I can deal with a person with a gun. You know what the recipe for disaster during a traffic stop is? A person with an attitude with a gun. And so we talk about that, but obviously, we go in depth. We use you know case law, Pennsylvania v. Mims. We use you know uh, Maryland versus Wilson. I teach case law in my in my in my CCW class. Uh, and then the last part is um, obviously uh, safety and awareness, you know, how not to be a victim. And then uh, you get fingerprinted right then and there. And it concludes all the paperwork and everything like that. Those, that's a scheduled class that we do. Stop the Bleed, we do a scheduled class. Um, and how we're, uh, we're doing that is you actually buy the medical kit from North American Rescue, who we have an awesome relationship with. Um, NAR is just such, it's, it's, they're the, honestly the number one leading um, pre-hospital trauma uh, medical device company in the world uh, have an awesome relationship with them. So you buy our custom-made kit that, and if you if you actually put in the part number for that kit, it'll and you call NAR, it'll actually be a Guardian Bleeding Control Kit. Uh, so you buy our kit and get the class for free. The reason we do that is because that's health savings account or flexible spending account. So if you have insurance funds that are pre taken out pre-tax for prescriptions or medical gear or doctor's visits, that's eligible for it. If you bought the class, it wouldn't be eligible, but you buy the gear and then you get the class for free. Uh, CPR, uh, that's a scheduled class. Um, the newest, uh, and then our, so then our, I guess our, pri our, our hands-on firearms training is, is all concierge based. It's all private lessons, one-on-one. -on -one. Couples are very popular, um, you know, because They'll pay, they'll pay uh, us. So usually it's a hundred dollars per hour per person, but we give a 50% discount for the second person. It's like a boat, buy one, get one half off kind of thing. Couples that train together, stay together kind of concept. Um, but you get me and Karen. So like, if it's like you and your wife wanted to sign up a lesson, you'd be learning side by side, but, and you both be learning from Karen and I, but you know, and when it comes to the range time, you know, my wife takes the lady and me as a knuckle dragger takes a knuckle dragger and we learn side by side and we speak the same language. Um, but we've done group classes, but I think the largest group class we've done is 12. Um, and we have, you know, we use an indoor range. Um, we use an indoor range and then we have, t we have one outdoor range that's 350 acres. That's own private property. That's one of my business partners. And, uh, we can do whatever we want out there. One, one range is one bay is, uh, 200 yards deep by hundred yards wide. And the other one goes out to exactly 671 yards. Um, and that's obviously for more groups, um, from pistol to carbine, shotgun. Uh, really, the only thing we don't really do is hand-to-hand -hand combatives. Don't do that. And then if you want to shoot your 6.5 Creed more out to a mile, not my jam. Um, everything in between. Um, but then the newest class that we have, we bought our own simulator. So we bought our own use of force simulator. Um, and, that's, and we're doing scheduled classes for that now. Um, at, at, a, at a facility called TAC Hub in, in, uh, in central Phoenix. So we literally put you in a video scenario. 
ranging from carjackings to home invasions, uh, robberies to straight up active shooter incidents. And now you actually have to test the knowledge, right? When somebody goes, this is what I would do in this circumstance. Okay, do it. Um, Show your work. Correct, right? And then how do we quantify stress? So what we do is we actually put pulse oximeters on everybody before they start the class and see their resting heart rate. Then they go through the scenario. And if it's a shoot or no shoot, whatever the case may be, they problem solve through the scenario. Then we do the after action. And uh, I typically ask, I, I typically ask only one question to start the whole game. So that we can play back the scenario because we're going to play back the scenario. But before I play back the scenario, the question I'll ask him is tell me what happened. Right. And at that time, Karen's putting their pulse oximeter on their, on their finger and their typical heart rate is about twice their resting heart rate. And we would call that a desirable outcome. That is an immersive training environment. And, uh, so I would go, tell me what happened. Well, I could have, no, would have, no, don't tell me the could and the would and the should What did you do? What happened from point from the beginning to end? And that's what we would do as investigators. That's something. And, and we, we also caveat the class that, hey, you don't have the right to remain silent. You don't have the right to have an attorney you're present. You're compelled to speak with me right Correct. now. Correct. <laughs> this is a training environment, right? This is a training environment. It's not a, you know, and it's not mean, it's not meant to demean, demoralize, or degrade. It's meant to learn from each other. Now, the great thing is we'll have 10 people and somebody's going to the scenario and, and there's nine people behind them watching them. Right. And we can learn as much from the sitting back as somebody that's in there, because if somebody wants to pipe up about, oh, this is what I would do. Guess who's next? That right? person. Exactly. And so, you know, we create an environment that's that's collaborative in nature doing that class. And then when they go. So then they tell the whole scenario and they go, well, I think I shot three rounds. Are you sure you shot three rounds? Well, I think I'm shot three rounds. Well, are you thinking now or are you thinking then? Because sometime at one point you weren't thinking, right? And like, this is really tough. I'm like, yeah, welcome to the real world. And it's not meant to even, you know, so then they go. So then we can play back that scenario in real time in on the screen our our 12 foot wide by eight foot tall screen. Or we can play it frame by frame and then we can track every shot they make on tar on on that screen, as well as we have a camera facing the student. So we may or may not have a student use his wife as cover as a human shield in a scenario. And he goes, I didn't do that. And I go, there it is right there. And we show it and it's real. Right. And he's just like, holy shit. I'm like, it's not meant to demean, demoralize or degrade. It's just meant to just, and now the wife's like, Hey, Josh, can you rewind that? And she takes a video with her cell phone. I'm like, that's going to be a quiet that's, ride home. That's ammunition right there, man. That's what that is. <laughs> that's quiet ride home. Fuel, meat, fire. <laughs> and I pull it, put the Cindy Lauper music, the true colors shining through. Um, but it's, it's been, it's, it's huge because, you know, it's, you know, we can use that for a myriad of different tools. Obviously we use that for concealed carry. I've, I've had law enforcement officers in my class. And I, of course, my debrief for an LEO is different. You know, we can, we can set it up as an off-duty encounter or an on-duty encounter. Um, and we have a great relationship with the company TI, uh, the company uh, that, that we bought our simulator with. And they're just amazing. Based out of Golden, Colorado, the land that Coors built. Um, and so we have a great relationship with them. And, and, they're, and some of the stuff we showed them at SHOT Show, they're like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like, what we're doing. Because we can put this simulator in somebody's backyard in their living room, their business, their church, wherever it is. Um, we have our regularly scheduled classes 
Um, but if you can get 10 people together of any of our classes, we can, I've done a concealed carry class in somebody's living room. I've done CPR classes in somebody's living room. See, stop the bleed. So we just need 10 students. That's all we need and we can do it. Um, so the best way of explaining our business model, unlike other ranges, right, is you go to the range and you're one of 20 people. Um, you know, we're, and so like, just like the, the gym, if you go to the gym and you want to take an aerobics class or a Zumba class or whatever class you want to take, you're one of 20 people. And that's what the ranges do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's their model. Um, if you want to go to the gym and you want to, you want hands-on instruction, you hire a personal trainer. And so we're the personal trainers of the preparedness world. And that's, that comes back to our ethos. What are you doing today to prepare for tomorrow? Boom. I like it. I was hoping you were going to throw that in there. I was like, how am I going to, how am I going to get him to say his tagline? <laughs> ethos. There you go. Ethos. Your, your, what is your, what is your, uh, your ethos and your, your own personal compass guide you? Yeah. Um, where do, uh, where do people find you on, on social media online? So, uh, GTC train. So G as in George T as in Tom C as in Charles T R A I N or ready today.org. That's what we also are. So it all ends in O R G. Um, GTC train on Instagram. Um, and then www.gtctrain.org. Um, we're on LinkedIn, TikTok. Yes, we're on TikTok. Um, and, uh, I think almost every other, every other social media. So just start search or we also have a YouTube channel we're doing. Uh, so we have our YouTube channel that's been pretty successful. Um, and then we got some instructional videos on there. Uh, but we also started, our own guardian virtual training platform as well. And that's been pretty darn successful, which we're happy. Um, so we, for, 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 uh, 2022, um, my goal was to make training accessible, affordable and digestible. Um, because that's where the biggest thing we problems we have is, 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 is accessibility, right? Um, so North Dakota, uh, going up there is because I mean, really there's a lot, a lot of people that want to go to North Dakota and a lot of instructors. It's, it's definitely, you know, there's not a lot of instructors up there that, you know, that, that, that bring a lot of different ideas, um, accessible, affordable, right? The biggest, the biggest constraints that, that police departments or anybody has is I can't, if, if you, you can't afford the money, you typically can afford the time, you know? And then if you can afford the money, typically it's, you know, somebody that can't afford the time because they're hustling all the time. So how do I make it affordable either by way of time or money? And then digestible. A lot of people, they, they don't want to sit through a, a all day class or a three day class. How can I digest it on my own time? Right? Like you don't, you don't listen to audible straight through like a whole thing. Oh God, no. Right. So you make it digestible, right? You yep. make that, di you make it affordable for your time and digestible. And that's what it's about. Um, so we started it through Patreon and it's, it's video content at $10 a month. So and it's all community driven. So I, we, yeah, $10 a month, you get a part of the community and you get, you get at least one video a month. I'm doing more videos ranging from airport travel, right? With guns. How do you navigate the airport to, uh, safety and awareness, uh, tourniquets, um, to we're doing, uh, a lot of it's firearms content related. So, tr you know, transition, I'm just, I just put in the, the, the film can, uh, transitioning rifle to pistol, but also the why of why, how we do it. Right. Um, you know, I, I get this, the old adage, you're like, well, we always transition. If we're at 25 yards and in, we transition to the pistol. Well, what if it's a rifle problem? Why are we transitioning to pistol? If it's a rifle problem, right? I get that all the time. I'm like, why are we doing this? Right. Well, we always transition. If it's within 25 yards, you transition to a pistol. 
But if the problem needs a rifle to be solved, don't pull out your pistol. How about we cognitively process what we're doing? So it's a lot of drills like that and uh, a lot of, you know, different discussions. But then they can be they get access to our Guardian Family Discord server. And then they, the community actually tells tells us what they want. So now I don't even have to think about content ideas. And that's it's awesome because I give the people what they want and it's videos. And so that's the $10 a month. And then the $100 a month gets you all the videos plus one hour of private lessons, whether that's, you know, in person, right? Or I've done virtual lessons via Zoom, right? Hey, show me a video of you doing something on the range in slow-mo, filming yourself. Let's break that down and let's let's do the whole Madden thing. $200 gets you two hours. Um, three, $300 per month gets you three hours. $400 a month gets you four hours. And then $1,000 a month is like our, it's only limited to 10 and that's everything all access. Um, and you have your own text line. You have your own literally hard line to, to, to Karen and I, and it's a more of a VIP experience. But if you think about it, like I tell people this, you like, you pay $100 a month, right? You get more training than a law enforcement officer does, right? Per, per year. Yeah. Right. And if you pay Josh $2,000 a month, he'll train you wearing a thong. So <laughs> why'd you have to go there? You're going to edit that That's what out. I do. You're That's edit, what I you're do. You're that out. <laughs> Swear to God, if that goes on Apple, you're in, you're in fucking trouble. I know where you fucking live because I'm right here. Because you're in my house. <laughs> it's totally fucking true. You had, a, you had another reason. To, uh, I'll uh, pull my address. I'll put your address right on this thing. Oh, you're, you're going to dox me. Great. <laughs> Great. It came from within. Yes. Man, I appreciate the hell out of you coming on. We've had a good two-hour conversation here. Dude, it's been two hours. I got to hit you with one last question. Send it. Because you have a microphone to the world. I, I do. I've gotten a little bit more particular in checking my, my demographics and my stats and, and where the show goes out. And truly... It is a worldwide experience, whether or not some countries uh, like Bangladesh, one download. I think that they intended, <laughs> they probably intended to click on a different show. Uh, but nonetheless, um, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, uh, uh, the South Pacific, man, truly, uh, I am, I'm blessed to have a global audience. Awesome. Which means you have a microphone to the world. What does the world need to hear from Josh Logan? I think uh, I think the biggest thing is check your ego at the door. Um, you know, I, it's it's so pervasive in this uh, Instagram filter world. Uh, check your ego at the door. Don't be afraid to learn. Don't be afraid to to go to a class, whether however rudimentary it is. And it's not even coming to my class. It's it's I, I've I've even seen I've even seen that. Like I've seen a huge improvement in my skill set and and just in just in life right? Being a student of my craft, being a student of life and, and prescribing to that concept of always a student and sometimes a teacher, because I've been blessed where I've had, I've actually found people that are in my classes that have, that are very experienced instructors that I didn't know. And then I found them out about one third of the way through. Cause I always find out and they're like, Whoa, I don't want you to think I'm espionaging you. And I'm like, dude, Dude, I'm going to teach you what way I teach. And if you take it from, if you take something from me and give it to somebody else, then it doesn't matter, right? We got to stop this infighting. We got to stop this ego narcissistic garbage that's out there. And so it's, it's being a student, right? And, 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 and always willing to learn and being thirsty for that knowledge. So I would say that is, is, is always a student, sometimes a teacher. I, uh, I, I've, I've taken that to heart over the past, I don't know, 
at least at least the the last two years, especially now that I've I've left patrol and gone into a new position where I very much I'm I'm the FNG all over <laughs> again, and I, I recognize that and I accept that. Uh, but my biggest thing uh, has always been to to never never think that you are above being a student, and I, I think that's what you're trying to. If I were to to truncate what what you just sure. said, that's probably right about what you're saying is is don't ever be afraid to be the student. Because you'll you'll meet that person that will humble you better than anybody else. Oh hell yeah! Right, the minute you think you're top on the top of your game, and the minute that you that you think you're the biggest baddest motherfucker in the whole crowd is the minute somebody walks up and go and just slaps you in the face with a with a humble pie. And we all know how humble pie tastes tastes like shit. Mm -hmm. But also, it's one of our greatest learning uh, opportunities at that point. And like you said, you have two choices, right? If you get humble, you can walk away which I've seen people do, right? And laugh it off to save face, whatever you want to call it. Or you can go, that sucked. All right, cool. Let's make it better, right? And so that's my, I guess that's my my message to the world because it's it's getting bad out there, man. It's getting bad, you know, and I see it a lot. And then I, uh, I've been blessed to be surrounded uh, because like Matt Schneider said, the best proxemics. You surround yourself with awesome people and, and people that demand excellence for themselves, they naturally demand excellence for the people they surround themselves. And if you become a part of that circle, you either rise to the occasion or they find out you're a dirt bag and they kick you out of the circle, which rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, uh, I mean, well, there's, there's no easier way to say it than how you've said it, which is just check your ego at the door. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, you shouldn't even have to check your ego at the door. Just, be done with it yeah. and, and recognize that, that, Hey, cool. And I, and I will address the cops out there. Cause that's what this show is, in, is intended for. That's, that's the audience, uh, you know, the a large part of the audience anyways that I go to, but even in the corporate world, you move from, from one position to another, you think, Oh yeah, I'm hot. I'm a hot shit detective now, sure. you know? Um, no, no, you're not. Yeah. You got a lot to learn. Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm on SWAT now. Cool. Have you done a high risk search warrant yet? Have you done 50 of them? Like you, yeah. you got a long ways to go, right? Like I, I look at the, the detectives that I work amongst and I am constantly flabbergasted at their knowledge and professionalism. Uh, I look at, at the SWAT guys, um, or, or the, you know, the firearms instructors that I learned from the defensive tactics instructors that I learned from, um, the people outside of law enforcement, such sure. as yourself that I learned from. And I'm constantly like, let me pick my job off the floor because you just dropped some, some serious knowledge on me. Uh, but if you're not willing to learn and willing to eat that humble pie, willing to eat crow, yeah. um, you're never going to improve. And in, I would say in any professional uh, setting, if you're not humble and you're not willing to be accountable for your actions and own up to your fuck ups. And if you're not willing to eat that slice of humble pie, your reputation will suffer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think you and I both know in law enforcement, reputation is such a huge deal. Oh my gosh! And, and it's not so much your reputation within perception. the perception within it's it's the community's perception of you, and it's your your coworkers' perception of you. Yep. Um, uh, and that's a big deal because that'll make you break your your career. Yeah, but, because, uh, and, and that's the thing. It's like I've had guys that literally like stare me up and down and size me up and go, "What can I learn from you?" And I go, "Apparently nothing." With an attitude like that, because it's impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows Epictetus, the Roman stoic. And that's the thing. It's like, it, just, just let it go. 
right? And, you know, there's, there's a certain level of being an instructor, having some ego, right? And having pride in what you do. Arrogance is when you remind people verbally how badass you are. And it's like, dude, just leave it at the door. Like, just, just drop it, right? And, and that's the thing. Um, and especially in my industry, uh, learning from the private sector. But, you know, it's funny because teaching LE is one of the most difficult things you can do. Even as an LE cop, if you're as a cop, right? And in a former cop, it's almost impossible to do it as a civilian, right? And there's some guys that really have done it well in, in the industry. But when you break through, oh man, it's the most difficult thing to ever. But when you do it and you reach these guys, like I, when I went down to Huntsville, just a great example, I went down to Huntsville and I taught those guys down there for another company. And oh man, 30 years salty ass cops. And like, who is this young buck with the beard and everything like that? And they're like, oh man, he's shooting bended arms and everything like that. He's going to hit him. And then you see, they're like, holy shit, how did you shoot that fast and accurate? And then that's great. But then when I had them shooting that fast and accurate, they're like, dude, we've, we've been learning the wrong way for this long. I'm like, no, stop with that mindset. It's, this is just a way, but this is all based on performance, right? This is based on results, right? I do results-based training, scientific proven training. I've been blessed to teach major league baseball players like Kyle Schwarber, right? And Kyle Schwarber looked at me as a world series champion for the Cubs. Now he's a Philly. And he looks at me, he goes, how do you shoot that fast? And I go, how do you throw a baseball from the outfield to home plate with one bounce? How do you hit a 100 mile an hour fast fastball? It's like everything you're teaching me, Josh, is what we learned in spring training. I said, yeah. I said, because my clients, my cops play. So you, you play a game to win a ring or a trophy. No disrespect, Kyle. And Kyle, his, his father was a police chief, was a police chief in, in Ohio. Um, I said, but you play a game to win a ring or a trophy. My clients, my cops play a game that decides whether somebody lives or dies. Why wouldn't I want to have my cops and my clients think faster, act faster, and make better decisions in that stressful moment? Because they have typically two-tenths of a second when that ball comes over the top for an MLB pitcher, for the hitter, to make a decision whether they're going to swing or not. Right? Wouldn't I want my my citizen, my CCW holder, my police officer to, to make those decisions just as fast, right? To shoot or not shoot. And that's, and, and that's what we teach. And it's, and people are like, holy shit. I'm like that, but that's, that's why wouldn't we want to take that? Right. And for the longest time I've seen in our law enforcement to end this whole thing from, from me and getting off my soapbox and from this is all of the problems we're seeing in law enforcement right now is directly correlated with administrations refusing to pay for the known cost of training, right? Refusing to pay the known cost of training because of staffing or the actual cost officers, officers going out there and, and our administration demanding excellence and our community demanding perfection, rightfully so demanding perfection because they pay for it. They expect that the problem is, we don't train our cops in the agency. We roll our, we, we cross our fingers, hope for the best. And when they make a mistake due to lack of training, we throw them under the bus for it. And then, and then we do this whole remedial training, right? And reactionary training. And we train to the lowest common denominator. I'm sure you've never heard that before, right? Did uh, you mention I, it? I've heard it. You mentioned it, right? Yeah. 
So if I walk in as an instructor and I go, hey, guys, we're going to teach you the lowest common denominator. Just what, guess what I just called all of you? Idiots. Yeah. Stupid, right? Yeah. Why would you want to learn from that? And we do that. Not me, Guardian. Not me, Josh. I never done that. And I hear it. How do you empower a, a, a group of people to, to, to rise to the level of excellence when you're telling them they're stupid? And then you go out there and demand excellence from them. It doesn't happen. Right. And we're rolling our fingers and then we're paying the unknown cost. Right. The rolling the dice of, of the, the lawsuits, the dollars signs of lawsuits and the, the priceless loss of confidence in our communities. Right. Because they're looking at our cops and going, these people are freaking scumbags. They make stupid decisions, right? They're out there killing, they're out there murdering people. They're not, right? You look at the, the Minnesota cop, what's her name? The the one who taser, 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 and she pulls oh, a gun yeah, on yeah. her, yep. right? And there, you know, people are like, well, she was a 26-year veteran. It's not the years of service, it's the mileage. That's probably one of maybe two or three violent encounters she's ever had in her entire career. It's, a, it's evident, Right? I'm not an expert on that regard. I'm not that. I'm a master of my craft, but it's evident that she had, does not have experience dealing with violent encounters. There's a line in uh, one of the newer James Bond, Daniel Craig James Bond movies, oh. when he and Q meet, and, and he says something to the effect of, uh, youth is no guarantee of innovation, and Q, paid by, played by Ben Wishaw, who's probably my age, if not younger, goes, sure. and age is no guarantee of wisdom. <laughs> That's totally true. Right. And that, and that's the thing where I'm seeing right now in law enforcement and it breaks my fucking heart and it, because I have such, because I care so much about it, but I couldn't change it from the inside and I couldn't do it in it. Like, I don't know how many times I have this conversation with my wife and she's like, Josh, I'm like, I know, but I, I give a shit, right? I actually give a shit about these people that are putting these badges on and I want to help them and I want to do what I can. And if I, if we can all just learn from each other and, but because we have this mentality that I'm better than you, you're, I'm, you're a detective and I'm just a police officer. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? And I'm like, we can all learn from each other. And so I, you know, that's a long winded, again, a long winded answer rabbit hole, but it's, that's my message to law enforcement is, you know, guys, let's, let's, let's work together because the bad guys are doing it well. Yeah, they do. They do this for a living too, right? Right. And and I know. I think you've hit it on the head. Confidence doesn't equate arrogance. No. Right. I had I had my USPSA coach when I was sixteen, when I was in high school and first started competing. Uh, tell me, you need to stop worrying if you can make that shot, and just tell yourself you know you're going to make that shot because right. I've seen you fucking do it. Because those who say they can and those who say they can't, they're both right. Right. As Henry Ford said. I had a flight instructor. Same thing, man. Like I was terrified at landing a Cessna 172 because I, I bounced and nearly went into the rocks. Um, and it, it was very much like, okay, we're going to go back up and you're just going to land the plane because I've seen you land the plane more times than I've seen you nearly crash the plane. Correct. So stop be confident in your ability. Don't sit there and be like, ah, yeah, I'm a pilot, man. I got this, which I'm not a pilot, but, uh, you know, when I was taking, taking lessons for a little sure. while, but, uh, just know like, Hey, okay, we're going to land. Cool. Right. Cool. All right, cool. Let's do this. And, and I think that law enforcement, if there's one thing we are guilty of, it's that we will fucking eat each other alive. Oh my God. It's and, so bad. But why don't we 
if if you come to the table and you've mentioned like law enforcement teaching other law enforcement officers, if you come to the table, you may initially fight that uphill battle of like these dudes out in yeah, out in Rocket City, out in Huntsville, being like, "Who's this bearded dude?" But then you, as the instructor, with your confidence because you do have the knowledge, sure. are able to provide a service, this education. Yep. Then all of a sudden, everybody else that confidence sort of washes onto them, right? They become Correct. confident in you. And it's funny because that class of, I don't know, 25 knuckle dragger Neanderthals had the highest cognitive dissonance coming in. Like that was the steepest, steepest, I guess, battle that I ever had in my career. And I regularly talked to five of them on, on the regular and they are good friends of mine and they are good cops. Um, and one of them just became a nationally recognized instructor for Ailita and, and I'm proud to know him, you know, Rob is like, dude, this dude's a savage Memphis PD dude's a savage instructor, um, air force, um, tac P and, and, and he owns his own training company in, in Memphis. So it's funny. He's, he's even doing stop the bleed classes and he's like, Hey, and he's bouncing ideas from an entrepreneurial standpoint onto me. And so we not only have the LE connection, but they also have the entrepreneurial connection. He's still a cop. And he's like, hey, I just don't want you to think I'm like stealing your ideas. I'm like, dude, you go for it, man. Like you do you boo, right? You're not going to be me it's, and I'm not going to be you. And, and it's, and it's awesome to, to, to do that, you know, cause I don't look at him as competition and we need more of that. You know, we need more of that collaboration than conflict. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, shit, I work with a, a uh, She's like 15 or 17 years in law enforcement, 12 of which as a detective yeah. in, in the unit that I'm in. And she'll even turn to me. Hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> me? You, me? You talking yeah. to me? Who's yeah, the guy behind yeah me? I'm talking to you. Like, what, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think A or B? Or do you? is there something else you think? And we're like, well, hell. And, and even the other senior detectives down to me uh, and, and one of my other partners is the junior detectives. We all sit there and, and round table it, right? Because yeah. that... That I think is what breeds success because somebody's going to going to have that outside the box thought. Correct. So, well, as Chris Voss from uh, Never Split the Difference, another good book uh, from a business perspective. Holy crap, that's an awesome book, and it's written by from a former. I don't know if you know Chris. Mm -hmm. Nope. Uh, he's a former FBI hostage negotiator. Oh, okay. Never cool. split the okay. difference. Um, so it talks about like how you know um, he was a hostage negotiator. You can't split the difference in a hostage negotiation. Hey, we got eight hostages. Uh, we'll take four and we'll call it a day, right? Um, but he's like, never be so sure of what you want that you're not willing to get better, right? Don't be so sure of what you want that you're not willing to get better, right? And it talks about negotiation tactics, not only from a perspective of, of the hostage stuff, but it's business. And it's um, like, and that's where I realize I'm like, man, you know, and and you know, and Simon Sinek from a um, he talks about uh, Nelson Mandela. Um, how universally he's one of the, one of the greatest, greatest, uh, leaders of all time. You know, he learned to speak, to be the last one in the room to speak Friend, He learned that from his dad, who was a tribal chief. And he's like, because if you're the last one to speak in the room, you have all the information mm -hmm. and guess what you look like? Fucking genius. Yeah. Smartest man there. Right. <laughs> but you get to, in the process, you get to be, look like the dumbest man. But then once you gather all the information, then you, then you have the, then you have the, the most informed decision or, or, or perception of them all. So. Right. It doesn't quite look like British parliament all screaming at each other from across the room. <laughs> hey, you wanker, what are you doing? You wanker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throwing poo at you. Right. So, yeah. 
Man, it's been a it's been a solid now two hours and fifteen minutes. Again, that last fifteen minutes flew by, bro. I yeah, do I greatly appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks, buddy. Uh, we'll have uh, we'll have Karen on here shortly. Uh, to everybody, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you on the road. Thanks, guys.